Welcome to the WRSU Crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers Athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe, coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. All right, we are back. This is the Wednesday crew on WRSU-FM. Glad you guys could spend a couple hours with us, and we've got a lot to go through, um, you know, starting with, you know, big NBA uh, opening uh, night last night, um, two nationally televised games, Nets and Lakers both losing. We'll get into that in just a moment. Um, you know, Giddy, we got to talk about the Devils winning again against Seattle. You know, what do we like from what we saw from that game? What is up with Jack Hughes? How does that affect everything? That's obviously a big question. We'll get into all that. And then somewhere down the line, we'll get into some uh, discussion about the Cowboys uh, for some reason. Um, <laughs> but uh, Giddy, Jack, how are you guys doing? I'm pretty good. I'm happy that sports are now picking up again. I think we kind of hit a little bit of a lull where, you know, there weren't always baseball games on and there was only football on Saturdays and Sundays. So, I'm excited now that the NBA is officially in its regular season. We're out of the preseason. The NHL is up and running. There's a lot to talk about, a lot to watch on TV. A little bit overwhelming, especially with midterms going on now, but happy to be on the crew on this Wednesday evening. I got to say the same thing, Giddy. It's it's midterm season is in effect, but, you know, all college students, we're getting through it right now, and it's definitely aided by the fact that the NBA is back. Huge NBA fan here. Had a lot of fun watching the games last night. Especially the Lakers one. Didn't go my way, but it was a fun game to watch nonetheless. Very happy the NBA's back. Yeah, did not go a lot of people's way, it seemed like, from our sports department group chat last night. That was <laughs> not a lot of people were happy with that. But I mean, who's there's there's eighty one games left for both the Nets and the Lakers. And okay, fine. The Nets lost by twenty three to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks are an excellent team. They're Favorite to have a deep run this year. I mean, that's okay to lose a, your first game of the season on the road. The only like, meaningful thing about the NBA regular season is that it is meaningless. That's sort of my my <laughs> philosophy on it. No, but seriously, and you know that's why you know, and not to go off on a tangent here, but that's also why I think you know college basketball is a more compelling product. Is that one loss can actually have a big impact on where you're seated, whether or not you make a tournament. Uh, all, all that kind of stuff. Whereas one loss in an NBA season, unless you're like in like the end of the season, and you're like fighting out for like a play-in spot. It's really not that big of a deal. So like, it's kind of hard to get excited about every individual game. And the Nets and Lakers, I mean, most likely will not be in that spot in the season where they're just trying to. Get I mean, I hope seat. not. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of things will have to go wrong for that. That is true. I mean. But, yeah, Chris, I agree with you. I mean, I don't want to go off on that tangent either, but I'm with you on that college basketball where every game matters. And as a, I guess I could say I'm a casual NBA fan. I like more to follow what's generally happening in the league instead of one team. I really only find myself sitting down on any given night with a snack to watch the NBA playoffs. I can't really do that with the regular season. It'd be, you know, it's fun to go to games in person. There's nothing like a live sporting event, especially at the Barclays Center in Madison Square Garden. But I just can't seem to get into the NBA regular season. But... I mean, still, when you have two games, two highly competitive teams last night, including a couple, including an upset, some would say, still definitely an exciting way to get the season started and plenty of action tonight. And I think that's the appeal of football, if we're being honest. 
like 17 okay 17 games now but every single game matters like as you said Chris we'll talk about the Cowboys probably at some point uh later in the show but that win on Sunday you know it was a huge win like for you know all purposes but generally a huge win for playoff purposes because every single game matters in the NFL only 17 games the NBA and MLB like 82 and 162 games Lakers lost last night but you know if you're a realistic NBA fan you're not sweating it um it was it was a rough game for Russell Westbrook um he did not play well but if you're a realistic NBA fan you recognize just one game and they got 81 more to go so yeah, I, I think that's what I got to say with that is that the NFL has that right where you only play 17 games and the playoffs and playoff implications are in every single game, basically. Well, I mean, about last night at the Lakers, sure, Westbrook in 35 minutes only had eight points, but Anthony Davis pretty much played the entire game and had a, had a double-double as well as two assists. So that's a great way to start the season. LeBron also had a double-double, pretty much had the exact same stat line except LeBron had a couple more assists. That's a way to start the season. I mean, you're not going to – it was Westbrook's first game with the Lakers, first regular season game with the Lakers. Things are going to have to take a little bit of time to mesh together. There's a lot of different personalities on that team, a lot of different styles of play. But at some point it is – they'll either find a way to make it mesh or if it doesn't mesh, well, well it'll be pretty obvious when it doesn't mesh and people go their separate ways. But if you're going to have, you know, your two, two of your forwards combined for 67 points and pretty much – and play the entire game and, you know, not really take a break and stay on the floor the entire time. I think that's a good good start for the Lakers. And, you know, they only lost by seven. They were – things started to get a little bit crazy in the fourth quarter. The Warriors ran away with it for a little bit. The Lakers almost staged a comeback. They were, like, down by two, I think, at their closest. And then the Warriors ran away with it again. So it wasn't like the Warriors just went out there and lit up the Lakers and put on the clamps on defense. It was a pretty well-fought game for the majority of the of the home stretch. Well, here are some things I took away from last night. LeBron and AD look rejuvenated and they looked healthy. I mean, you alluded to it, Gideon, 34 points for LeBron, five threes, 11 rebounds, five assists. You know, that's that's a game that you expect LeBron to have, and it's incredible. He's in year 19. It's it's it. That's another conversation. It's incredible. AD, he looked he looked rejuvenated. That was an AD I hadn't seen in a while. 33 points, 11 rebounds, two two assists, two blocks, um, two of seven from the free throw line. I don't really know what's going on there with him, but. Westbrook, like I said, it was bad. Carmelo Anthony, I had no idea what he was doing at the free throw line that one time. I'm sure you guys saw that highlight where he just like pump faked the free throw. Um, that was the most important. That was that was the biggest thing I saw from Carmelo Anthony all night, which says something. Rondo looked pretty good. Um, I love his connection with AD. They get easy buckets together. They got that kind of chemistry that you know you can't really can't really put a word on it, but it's there. And for the Warriors, Steph Curry, he was 5 for 21 from the field, 2 for 8 from 3, money from the free throw line as usual. Had a triple-double, but all that – the shooting woes didn't really matter because he's Steph Curry. Steph Curry could go 0 for 40 in a game. They're going to play him the same exact way that they would play play him if he was 40 for 40 from 3. And that's just the reality with him, and it opens up so much for an offense. And with him moving around without the basketball – it's just it just opens so many things up for the offense. I can't wait till Clay gets back to see how they you know play again together. And the last thing I'll say for the Warriors is Jordan Poole looked like a star. Jordan Poole looked like a budding star. He was very good, and he's gonna serve. He's gonna hold serve really well while they're waiting for Clay to get back. And actually, last thing, Nemanja Bjelica. He's bounced around the league for a while. 
But he came and played in a big way last night, and he was a key reason for how the Warriors pulled that thing out. Yeah, I mean, I think in a game like that where even though it is a seven-point game, you could pretty much say that you know the Lakers were favored to win that game. I didn't check the lines before that game, but in a game like that, you're going to need to get your contribution from anybody, and if even if that means you're going to you know finally find your ground, like the first game of the season of a long season against a team that you're the underdog against, that's a great way to get you know great way to get going. And besides for Steph Curry and Jordan Poole and Jack, I'm going to butcher the name, but the name that you just said, Nemanja. Bijalika? Nemanja Bialica. Bialica? I was talking with my friend last night, and he saw – I don't know if it was the first time he's seen him, but he's like, that beeline guy or whatever his name is really good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he I, look, putting up 15 points in a game like that, I mean, that's crucial. That was He was tied for third most on the team. No, he fits the Warriors' play style perfectly. But the way he moves without the ball, he's kind of got he's, – he's from Serbia. He's got that European type of basketball play that he has. It, he played. He played really well last night. I also feel like you know the NBA is like kind of shifting its play style, and I think you know like some of the things that have changed this offseason, like you know how they're not calling the same fouls that they used to. It's sort of becoming a more physical game, kind of like what we saw at the Olympics. I feel like having those European guys coming into the league more and more will likely, you know, I, I think it's going to be a bit of an advantage. It's going to improve the product definitely. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because. I, it's it's a small sample size, but I'm having a ton of fun watching the NBA this year. Just you know, without that, without that breakup in the action where you know you get a guy in the air and you know you lean into him and it's kind of just like you know cop out foul basically, or coming off the screen you swipe and just, it's something that breaks up the flow of yep. the basketball game. And that's that hasn't been there this year, and I'm extremely happy for that. I've never been a fan of it. The next thing they need to take out. Now is what I call the take fouls, where a fast break opportunity is coming and a team will, you know, foul someone in the backcourt to prevent that fast break. And and it's called a take foul. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. You mean you, you mean to tell me you don't like to see someone grab someone's shoulder just to stop them from doing something exciting? Exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. You mean to tell me exactly. that's not your kind of basketball? Oh, <laughs> exactly. Man. That's the next that's the next thing they need to get rid of, though. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, the because that was like the other thing about the NBA. I mean, look, the regular season is what it is. Too many games, in my opinion. Too many teams in the playoffs. But um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna save that rant for another time. But the other thing that made it a worse product than college basketball, I think something that was really on display when people were watching Olympic basketball, was that it was so stop and go, so stop and go. Like people, people like to rib on baseball for having a pace of play problem. But the NBA was having a pace of play problem because there were just so many stoppages. It seemed like teams often couldn't string like more than two or three possessions together before there'd be a stoppage for a foul or, or something. And it just it was getting, I want to say unwatchable because I still watched, but um, you know it was just it just wasn't as good of a product. And I think that these rule changes and you know this general philosophy change is going to, you know, help that. Right, I, I completely agree, and. That kind of comes into like how different NBA teams play. Um, obviously, it's publicized how James Harden plays, um, isolation basketball. You know, kind of boring to watch, but you know what makes it really, really interesting to watch, especially last night, was how Golden State plays, and they've played like that for ever since Steve Kerr came in the 2014-15 season. But every time I watch him, 
you got you got to you got to respect how they play. And I've been a lifelong LeBron fan, but over the years I've grew I've grown to respect Steph Curry and how that offense is run because it really is a pure form of basketball. Having a guy running around screens, moving without the basketball. Anyone anyone who is doesn't have a 40-inch vertical or is not that athletic, you got to watch Steph Curry play. You'll learn so much about how you can be effective without being the best athlete out there. It's really all about movement without the basketball, taking advantage of screens, and you know just being smarter than your other guy. That's how Steph Curry gets the majority of his points. Um, sometimes, and that's sometimes overshadowed by you know, of course, his incredible shooting ability, shooting from like 40 feet. But when I see Steph Curry, I see his off the ball movement, his finishing around the rim, and all that good stuff. Yeah, and I think that you know. My other takeaway to sort of change the subject a little bit is how good was Giannis Antetokounmpo last night? Amazing. I mean, he now combined, you know, the physicality of Shaq with the shooting ability and unguardability on the perimeter of Kevin Durant. I he's, mean, he's stepping into those shots with confidence. Chris. Yes. Yes. That, that I think is the biggest difference. Not only is he hitting, but when he hits a three, it's no longer, oh, look at that. Giannis made a three. Good for him. It's now. Giannis hit a three. He does that now. That's a thing that he does. And, I mean, I'm a Nets fan. I'm also a Giannis fan. I know that kind of feels paradoxical, but it's true. It's hard to root against Giannis. Yeah. Well, I'm also Greek, so that plays true. into it as well. Um, do, do you think he could keep that up? You know, we talked about yes. how long the NBA regular well, season Well, like, maybe like he won't be shooting. I, I forget what his exact shooting numbers were, but, um, you know, I, every shooter has, like, you know, dips, you know, slumps, hot streaks, whatever, so – but I do think, look, but this was something that if you watched him during the preseason, it was the same thing. He was hitting shots, and not even just threes, but like long twos. You know, he just has like a more cohesive shot. And I think, you know, whatever his final shooting percentage ends up being, that was really the one thing that was missing from his game. You take Giannis last year and you add that kind of shooting ability. I mean, you're talking about, in my opinion, the undisputed best player in the league. I mean, he also had five offensive rebounds, you know, combined with 32 points. Well, yeah, but but like but the, my, that was something we already knew he could do. Right, but I mean, you're so. saying he's going to combine. If you're going to be able to put up, you know, five offensive boards a night, get 14 rebounds altogether, and combine that with three-point shooting, I mean, you're all over the floor. He's Shaq, but faster and with a three-point shoot shot. I'm not afraid to admit it. I think he's the best player in the world right now. Like, I, I, I don't think I, I don't agree. I don't think it's very debatable like what he's doing by the way chris 12 for 25 field goal wise okay one for four from three okay seven for nine from the free throw line that's a oh, very unshack like this is this is a guy this is a guy in Giannis who struggled free throw shooting his entire career did he did, was there like a stat for how much time he took in between yes those free actually it, there wasn't a stat but people, but the announcers, Ian Eagle, I forgot the other guy who was announcing the game last night. They were talking about how it's like four seconds he took to shoot free throws. This is a lot Beautiful. faster than what it was last Beautiful. year. Beautiful. Seven for seven for nine from the field, or not from the field. Sorry, from the free throw line. And this is a guy who's notoriously struggled with free throw shooting. That's that's impressive. And he's he's the type of he's the type of guy to not let his foot off the gas at all. So it's going to be really interesting to see you know how Giannis does this year. Yeah, for sure. And look, I I got into this debate last night. The question was, you know, yes, last year they won the title and they deserve credit for that, but they also were not facing, you know, a fully healthy Brooklyn Nets or, you know, injuries played a role throughout the uh, the playoffs. And it's not like I said, it's not the Bucks' fault, but, you know, 
the competition they were playing is not the competition they would theoretically be playing this, this these playoffs. Um, I think Giannis taking this next step in his game, like it makes it plausible for them to be like the first NBA team in like a really long time to repeat as champions with like one legit superstar. Like Chris Middleton's good. Don't get me wrong, like he's very good. But he's not someone you would put in the conversation of like a star. You know what I mean? He's a he's a star. He's not. But he's a not a superstar. Not a, not a superstar. Yes, yes, he's a star. He's he's a, he's, a, he's a solid all star. Yeah. Um. But usually, would you think of him as a second option on a championship team if the first star wasn't Giannis? It was like someone on like, a championship team. No. Okay. But Giannis is good enough that you know, Chris Middleton compliments him pretty well, and they could win a chip with Giannis as their only legit superstar. With what I said though. Chris Middleton is a very good player. No, he is. And I'm not, I'm not hitting player. on him at all. He made big shots down the stretch of... He averaged like 20 points a game. Yeah, so like, he made big shots down the stretch. Um, speaking about that, Chris, talking about if they could repeat as champions, um, on, the, on the TV right now in FM, um, they are Uh-oh. talking about Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm sure both of you have heard about that story. Ben Simmons thrown out of practice yesterday and suspended after coming back for to the team previously saying that he doesn't want to play for the said team anymore um it's 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 a very interesting situation you have a guy who does not want to be there and uh showing that he does not want to be there and getting kicked out for not wanting to be there and then Joel Embiid you know bad mouthing him at the press conference table it's it's a crazy it's a crazy situation. We're talking about the NBA right now, so I just want to hear your guys' opinions on all of that. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, <laughs> I kind of knew someone was up when he rolled up uh, to practice in like that cutoff sweatshirt, and <laughs> he's got the sweatpants, and he's got the phone in his pocket, which is just you know bizarre to see a professional athlete do that. Exactly. I did also I did also wear that to the gym. It's, today, it's bizarre. It's bizarre to see anyone on any level to where they have their phone in their pocket while at a team practice yeah um i mean i didn't play varsity sports i think you guys um probably attest that's not something that you normally do at a practice without there being consequences i, I think that's safe to say no, at, at the, the risk of running wind sprints and <laughs> not playing in tomorrow night's game if you would absolutely not and i mean i forgot the exact number but he, i mean he's being fined more than a quarter million dollars for missing the game tonight and now he's just He's also not getting paid for this game tonight. Whereas if he stayed home, he would have gotten paid half his salary. So talk about a cell phone. Yeah. Talk about dropping the bag. <laughs> That'll show them. I mean For the for the record, if I did what Ben Simmons did uh the other day in my varsity basketball team, I would not be a member of said varsity basketball team. Oh, uh, I mean, right now Ben Simmons is not a member of his said basketball team. He so hasn't I been think cut that, though. If he wants well, to- no, but no, no. As no, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But I mean, I don't know. I thought we'd already be knee deep into his like redemption tour in like Sacramento or Minnesota or one of those places. But you were very enthusiastic about the Sacramento idea. <laughs> I feel like it's just like the perfect team or the Orlando Magic. Really, you really want to like get on his gears? Just like send him to Orlando, where <laughs> careers go to die. That, I don't know, but the way by the way he's acting, he might he might even want to go to Orlando because it's it's basically anywhere but Philadelphia at this point. Shanghai. <laughs> <laughs> ben, come see Ben Simmons and the Sharks. Put him in the backcourt with Jimmer Fredette. They just watch oh, him ball man. out. That would tell some tickets, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, so what's next? I mean, what we mm, we know. Ask Daryl Morey. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we know the way that he plays. We know he's a solid defender, but like 
if this is going to be the way that you deal with when things get tough by just completely shutting down and ruining a team. I mean, what's next? What do you do? I I don't know. I feel like I just don't know what did they really think he was going to come back and just be a team player? Is that really what they thought was going to go down? I think no, I think what they really thought was that Ben Simmons was going to come back and play well enough for his trade value to go up a little bit so they could maximize what they were going to get in return. That's the most That would that would make sense though, right? Like that, that that would be the only explanation be... I can think of that doesn't assume that the Sixers are run by people who do not understand how to read other human beings. That would make sense for Ben Simmons though. You know, go out there, be a professional about it, maintain your stance you don't want to be there, but hey, I'm going to be a professional about it. I'm going to go out there, I'm going to play my games, and theoretically that would probably increase his trade value. You know, wouldn't you think that? It, but that assumes that he would, you know, play at like a decent level, but if he's just not even going to run through the layup drills like what is there to talk about here? Well, that's part of being the professional part. Yeah. You well, got to be a professional about it. I, and I said this, and it's funny I say this because I'm wearing an LSU shirt right now. Um, I, I kind of had like a weird feeling about his personality going back to when he was at LSU because, you know, he came, he was a one and done, which, okay, a lot of guys do that. Um, the moment like they found out they weren't playing an NCAA tournament, he just left. Like he did not play in the NIT. I'm pretty sure LSU made the NIT that year. I think he uh, left the university, right? Like he just left. Yeah, like I don't even think he like went to classes or anything. Um, and he basically, I don't know if it was a documentary or an article or whatever, but he basically just ripped like, you know, it's one thing to criticize certain aspects of college basketball. Certainly you could do that, but he just ripped like, he's like, oh, college basketball is awful. I hated being there. I'm like, really? Like, don't you, why, why go public and say that right after you left your team? Like, it's just like put aside, you know, whatever you might feel about wanting to be able to go pro by the way, if he wanted to go pro, he could have stayed in Australia and gone pro at the NBL for a year and made some money. So, you know, no one forced him to go to college. But well, just it was a little bit less established back in 2016 when he was going through. No, but it was around, and he could have, you know, if his concern was, oh, I can't make any money while I'm waiting to go to the NBA, well, there's a league in your home country that can that would do that. You know, that that's that's kind of my 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 issue with, with that kind of a thinking. But you know, I, I, I just, from that moment on, I kind of, like, had a weird feeling about Ben Simmons. Like, I kind of was like, oh, I kind of don't like this guy's energy. And a couple of years later, I've been vindicated. So, you know, there it is. Yeah, he's always, he's always had that weird sort of, weird sort of, um, how should I put it, weird sort of personality where, you know, he kind of, Feels too cool for school sometimes. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't <laughs> no, know. I think that's I a good way of describing it. Honestly, I don't, I don't know Ben Simmons personally, but that's just kind of what he gives off. I can't. I. I also am not an NBA player. Shocker. Didn't know if you guys knew that. But don't sell yourself short. Yeah, but um, <laughs> if I was in that situation, I would. I would try to take the professional route. I feel like most people would. You know, yeah. I. I feel like what he's doing is like uniquely bad. I don't know. That's just me. Hey, but I mean, if he's going to have these attitude problems, what a great city to have them in Philadelphia. We should, <laughs> that, that's right. We should have we should have had our uh, our one of our contributors, Sean Ack. What's his last? Sean Ack, not Carney. Sean, not Carney. Yeah, but no, we were referring our, to Alex Carminati, who apparently thinks that Philadelphia is like the greatest city in the world. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, no. Like it, it's it's fine. Like it's got some good good aspects to it. I'm not hating on it. Like I'll, I'll eat a cheesesteak here and there, but. I don't like Philadelphia. Fans. There are so much. I mean, I'm not even talking about like the fans. I'm talking about like the city itself. Hmm. Like I was in Chicago last weekend. 
I would take Chicago 12 times out of 10 over Philadelphia, over most cities for what it's worth. You know, there are just so many good cities out there that I feel like Philadelphia, you know, it does have some good parts. I'm not hating on it, but I mean, they have the downtown with, you know, Liberty Bell and. Oh, let's look at a bell that's 300 years old. And there's a crack in it, too. It's It's not even a well-maintained bell. They don't even fix their bells. We're supposed (laughs) to take them seriously? Come on. Actually, one thing I will say about Philadelphia that they have, a lot of other cities have this, and the New York sports market lacks it, is all of your arenas and all your stadiums right next to each other. And Mm. I think that's something that's really, really cool about Philadelphia because it's like also centralized that you could be... I just think it's such a cool, like, I, we recently flew out of the Philadelphia airport. So you can see it really well from the air. And it's, there's right, you know, there's the Lincoln, there's, the, you know, the Link, there's the Wells Fargo Center, uh, Citizens Bank Park. It's all right there. And I think it's just kind of like when you're there kind of puts you in a different mindset versus like when you go to a Yankees game, you're in the Bronx and then boom, there's Yankee Stadium. You know, you go to a Mets game, there's LaGuardia Airport and then there's City Field. And, or you go to a Devils game and you're, you're in Newark, there's a bunch of parking lots. You know, some oh. bars, and then there's the Prudential Center. I just think when you have a whole area of your city dedicated to sports, I think it kind of builds more of like more excitement around it. Because if you go, you could go to a 76ers game in the dead of winter and then walk past the Lincoln Financial Field and think about, you know, who's going to be your quarterback next year. And I think it just kind of builds excitement. And I will, I'll, I'll give Philly credit for that. I don't like giving Philly credit for a lot of things, but I'll absolutely give them credit for having all of their stadiums right next to each other. I, I could see where you're coming from. That Gideon. is a benefit. I could see where you're coming from, but I just want to say I've been to Wells Fargo Center one time. I've never had a harder time trying to get to an arena than I did with Wells Fargo Center. <laughs> really? For oh. like in terms of parking or just, just get, yeah, parking. We got we got there and it was it was it was impossible to get in. There was everything was blocked off. We had to like circle we had to circle like the arena for like a good like fifteen, twenty minutes trying to get in because just things were blocked off and it was just not a fun experience. Well, that's what I'll, I'll say about the, the, I guess, the benefit of not having all your arenas right next to each other is that you have these private parking companies. And, like, you go to a Devils game, you could pick from, like, 100 different parking lots. And, like, if one's busy, you go to the next one. But, of course, you had a, of course you had a miserable experience in Philadelphia. I mean, why would not you? Not a shocker. Well, yeah, would you, would you expect anything else, to be honest with you? No. <laughs> <laughs> not at the slightest. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, we, we kind of had that with, um, you know, the – I mean, I don't know. Are you a Nets fan? You're not a Nets fan, are you? I would call myself a Knicks fan. Okay. I just try to follow the NBA in general. Oh, okay, that's fair. Well, I'm saying, like, because you're a Giant fan and you're a Devils fan. Yeah, You exactly. kind of had that for a while with the Meadowlands. Exactly. I mean, that the when, when the you, Devils were in the younger. Meadowlands was before my time, but, I mean, the Giants are still there now. And Yeah. I think it's cool maybe you could, you could tailgate a hockey game, but I think in terms of logistics, it's a nightmare. No. Well, I mean, I'm also biased because I'm from western Essex County, as are you. So, like, exactly. it was a lot easier for me to get to, Met, to uh, the Meadowlands than it is to get to New York. But and you could take a train, too. I mean, it's... Yeah, well, my, my town's, like, not really close to, like, a train. Oh, okay. I mean, was, like, I would have to drive 10 minutes to get to the train. Like, I mean, I could do it, but it's, like, yeah. Uh, it's actually easier for me to get to Newark and or the soccer stadium in Harrison from the train station in New Brunswick than it is to drive from my hometown in Fairfield. So... Um, but you know, this isn't a transit show. This is a sports show. But there was a benefit <laughs> to it, is my is my point. But all right, you heard the car keys. You know what time it is. 
locks of the night time. I am changing the name of that segment. It's not locks of the week anymore because we do this show five times a week. And as I said before, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you on that. I think, okay. you know, we talked about that last semester a little bit. I think someone said it and they're like, wait a second. We do this. There's going to be completely different locks of the week tomorrow night. That makes no sense. Yeah. Just like I, gambling. Yeah, no I was sense. telling you off air, I went 0 for 2. I have the specific bets here. So my main bet, I put, I had $15 on my bet slip left over from some other bets. Um, I had a two-team parlay in hockey to start the night. It was the Avalanche money line against the Capitals and Canucks against the Sabres. I had that Avalanche money line too. Oh, you did? Yeah, so you know my pain. But both teams lost. Um, so then I said, all right, well, it was like when like the Avs were down like 5-2. to two. I was like, all right, that's not going to hit. Let me uh, try to make a few bucks on the Nets. They were down by six at the half. And the, the money line live bet was like plus 190. So I'm like, all right, that's not that's pretty good value. That also did not hit. I have not actually won a bet in, oh, my God. Oh. I don't even want to say when. It's been a very long time. But <laughs> regardless, um, you know, this segment's about all of us. So anyone have a lock they want to share with us? Yeah, I'm going to save my lock. Before I get into my lock, what I'm going to tell you what my lock is not, it is not European basketball. I am never live betting European basketball for as long as I live. You, wait, 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 wait. You bet European uh, basketball. I don't hate it. I'm just, I'm curious. I want to learn more. My professor was late to class. <laughs> I opened up my laptop to get my notes out. Oh, boy. Said, oh, a couple games in Russia. Why not? There's some FIBA tournament going on. Couple Russia? Games- you should be rolling with Olympiakos money line. What are you doing here, Giddy? There were not. I couldn't find the Greek <laughs> league. There's so many. There's so much out there because Chris. you didn't it's, try to look. No, I'm <laughs> um, you know, if you have advice for European basketball, I'd love to hear it. Um, yeah, I opened up my laptop. I was like, hey, why not? Some pretty good odds on this team. What, what's really interesting to me is that there's some teams in European basketball that are just so bad. Like they're oh, they're not terrible. I mean, they're zero and four in the season. Like a tough start, and they'll be up like ten points at halftime. So, but the money line will still be like plus 350, plus 200. So it's like, how could you not take that? A team that has the lead at halftime, you got to take them at plus a couple hundred. You or, should bet on that European team that Lamelo and Leandro Ball played for. Um, oh, see, that could be fun. Prenai. Pre pre of the Lithuanian basketball league that was ins- that was that was that was the most ridiculous things ever when they played in Lithuania. I mean, just the concept is absurd. It's like I feel like you can make like a like a, a comedy with like I don't know some B list actors on that premise, and it would be pretty funny. But <laughs> that, that that's just like um, like Adam Sandler's like an agent getting guys deals in Lithuania or something like that. I don't know. Uh, I'll think of something. But <laughs> Adam uh, Sandler would be a good. That's like the perfect. Like he would the perfect he, uncut he gems would. role. Either him or like yeah, like it's like one of those guys. Either him or or Kevin James. Like basically anyone that was in um, Grown Ups would probably fit that role in one way or another. Hey, I'll, Chris Rock playing Lithuanian basketball sounds great to me. <laughs> um, but in terms of my lock, I didn't want to take the Red Sox money line before the game. I figured I would live bet them at some point during the game. So right now, bottom of the fifth, Houston Astros up one nothing, zero outs. Man on second, and I think a man is about to advance to first on a hit-by-pitch. We'll see when that updates. And, yep, it's now zero outs. Men on first and second. Hunter Renfro up to bat for the Boston Red Sox. And as much as I don't like putting money on teams that are rivals of my team, I just think the value is there. Um, The line is updating right before the hit-by-pitch. It was minus 105. We'll see what happens now. 
Um, but besides that, I mean, there's a Brazilian basketball game right now. Sao Paulo against Franca, 55-55. I do minutes. not trust Franca's rebounding in that one. Now, I know that's not H- the Historically same. a bad rebounding team. They're just soft. They just don't have that mentality that you need to win in Brazil. Chris, I'm, I'm sorry. Th- you were saying, Jack, I really <laughs> I, I know that that's not the Hunter Renfro that I know who plays wide receiver for the Raiders <laughs> and is a Clemson football legend. No, nah, that's not him, right? He didn't He didn't have a change seven of years there. overnight. No, and the Christian Vasquez in the bullpen is not the Christian Vasquez that is on crew every so uh, often. Uh, okay. That's unfortunate. I would have asked Christian about that. <laughs> I, I mean, I like the Red Sox now. Would have been a little bit better to bet on them before before they get men on first and second. And now the money line is minus 135. I'm literally, as we speak, I'm going to put some money on that. But I think the Red Sox are going to win this game. I don't really want to bet on that series. I think that series is pretty back and forth. We saw the Houston Astros kind of blew the Red Sox out of the water last night at a seven-run ninth inning. So I'm not, I'm not going to say anything about the series, but I think Red Sox could pull this one out and then... My official lock, my pregame lock, is I think the Bulls at minus five are going to beat that. I think the Bulls against the Pistons. I don't like where the Pistons are right now. I think the Bulls did a lot over the offseason, um, and I'm going to put some money on the Bulls tonight. Oh, I was going to say that actually kind of segues into my lock, which is a two-team parlay. Bulls money line is one of them. Then the other one is Knicks money line at home against the Celtics at the Garden. I think those are both going to hit. And if you mix them both, you get plus 157 value. So, pretty good. I don't know what to think about Julius Randle, to be honest with you. Okay. Like, he had a really he had a really good last or year last year, obviously most improved player all that. I, I want to see I want to see how he plays cuz last year was his quote-unquote breakout year. I want I want to see if he keeps that keeps that play up this year and with his play is going to be the next success basically. Yeah, that's fair, but I mean, you know, I don't know. I kind of just like that team in general. They're young, they're talented. It's, it's definitely going to be a fun team to watch. They're like a superstar away from like contending in the East. That's that's kind of my my take on that. So, I'll pick that up right now um, for my lock of the week, and it is always around the NFL for me because that is the most educated I'm at when uh, the betting sphere but tomorrow night Denver Broncos and the Cleveland Browns play each other and Cleveland is favored at by three points minus three and I almost like the Denver Broncos to go out and win that game tomorrow night because the Cleveland Browns are kind of sort of definitely really injured right now um they're without both of their running backs if both their running backs are healthy they got the best running back tandem in the league and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, both of them are going to be out. Their quarterback is out. Um, I'm just looking at their injury report right now. Um, David Njoku is questionable. Miles Garrett is on the injury list. Odell Beckham Jr. is questionable. They have so many injuries to so many key players that it's going to make it really difficult for them to come out in a short week and win, especially without Baker Mayfield. I mean, Baker Mayfield, we saw him have that shoulder contru- or shoulder injury in the first couple of weeks of the year. He re-injured it on Sunday. He's not going to play. They got Case Keenum coming back in for the, uh, to do backup duty. He is the type of quarterback that will have five touchdowns, zero interceptions, or zero touchdowns for five interceptions. No in between. So we'll see. we'll see how that game goes. But I like the Broncos to win that game and cover, not minus three. Okay. I like that. I like that. Um. Yeah, I think I think that's a good pick. Um, so, I think I like the Broncos this year. 
I think they're doing a lot. I I like Teddy Bridgewater. I think you know we could talk about the NFL a little bit, but I just picked him up because I I have Russell Wilson on my fantasy team. Found Teddy Bridgewater on the waiver wire, took him. He hit his he hit exactly his projection of eighteen points. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is the type of team to completely the type of quarterback to turn around a franchise. But I think right now he's kind of getting back to what he was before. Yeah, he's, he's a bridge quarterback. No pun intended. Like he'll he'll hold over while a young quarterback is ascending, and you know then that young quarterback will eventually take over. I mean, yeah, I mean if the young quarterback is Drew Locke, I don't know about that. Well, I never said Drew Locke. <laughs> no, I know, guy. I know. <laughs> but um, yeah, Teddy Teddy Bridgewater's a decent quarterback. He had that horrific knee injury a couple years ago, as you guys probably remember. Um, he like I I remember that I remember hearing about that injury. He basically dropped back to pass and his whole knee just collapsed basically. Like he had a really, really bad injury. But he's he's recovered. He's played pretty well considering those circumstances. And yeah, I think he's the best option for the Broncos and quarterback right now. Best option? Yeah, right now I agree with that. I don't know, maybe I'm kinda of with you, Chris, Drew Locke probably not the quarterback of the future i mean if he was this was his second or his third year third i believe third yeah i mean he'd be starting right now no i mean he got he was really that good beat for the job that's what i'm saying straight up just got beat like if you get beat in a quarterback like it's one thing if you were a rookie and bridgewater was starting over him i don't think it would be as big of a deal then but if you're in your third year and you're getting beat by teddy bridgewater in a quarterback competition like i'm sorry you're just not you're not the guy you're not that guy pal 16 touchdowns and 15 picks last year that's not going to get it done. No, no. That, that might be – 15 picks might be acceptable in Madden, but it's not acceptable. It'd be fine if he was throwing, like, 30 touchdowns, <laughs> but he's not. Right. So, yeah, that's that's kind of kind of how I feel about that. But, yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I do like that pick, though. So. All right, let's talk. 6.45 here on the Wednesday crew. Chris Akonis with Gideon Fox and Jack Basea. Um, you know, plenty of stuff going on in the sports world, but there's one story that kind of you know, probably slipped under the radar um, that I think um, you guys are going to find pretty interesting. So the United States has hosted, you know, countless Olympics, countless, well, they've hosted one uh, FIFA World Cup in 1994. They're going to host another one in 2026. That should be a good one. Oh, that's going to be fun. I'm excited for that. But the United States has also launched a bid to host the both the men's and women's rugby World Cups. Uh, the men's tournament would be either 2027 or 2031, and the women's would be in 2029. Um, now, I think this is a enormous opportunity. Full disclosure, I played rugby before. Um, it's a sport that I I, can, I follow whenever I can. Uh, it's a fun sport to play, fun sport to watch. Um, there's a new rugby league in America that started about three seasons ago that's starting to pick up steam a little bit. So Major League Rugby is a fun thing to watch. We're looking for something to watch in the spring. Um, but, you know, I'm, I think this is huge. I mean, the World Cup for soccer in 1994 – um, was a massive moment in growing the game from being like basically an afterthought in the United States to being what it is now, which is a sport that a lot of people here like, especially younger people. So um, I think it's a big opportunity. Guys, I'm curious to see what you think about this. Yeah, because first of all, I think rugby is such a cool sport. I think 
I hope this isn't what it's like in the future, but rugby to me has always been one of those sports that I only watch once every four years when it's on for the Olympics. Right. I did not really know there was an up and coming league in, in America. I will absolutely Major be watching rugby. that in the spring. That's is there a lo- is there a New York area? Uh, there team? is a New York team. Where do you do you play in like a football sized um, pitch? Like, could you play at Red no. Bull Arena? Could well, you... here's I mean, in a perfect world they would play at Red Bull Arena. The first season they played at um it's a little bit of a weird arrangement. They played at the Brooklyn Cyclone Stadium. Um, and they played there the second season before, you know, COVID canceled it. But um right now they're kind of in between. They're looking for a stadium. They played, they bounced around a couple like um, a couple uh, football fields, uh, not MetLife or anything like that, because you know the games only get a couple thousand people. But um, yeah, they're they're looking for like a long term home. So no, I mean that makes sense if you want to gain a you know a following, you got to pick a place to you know camp out and exactly know, give yourself a name of a city. Exactly. Um, but I I mean I was at I was on Bush last night and I saw the Rutgers club rugby team practicing. Oh, and excuse me for not knowing what the terminology is, but when you pick up somebody, there's like five or so people like pretty much on the ground. They pretty much pick somebody up yeah. above them. Yeah, 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 that yeah. was uh, one of the coolest things I've out. ever seen. The line out when, you know, one guy throws it over his head like a throw in soccer and then, you know, there's one guy that you designate to go up and get the ball. But it was so I never cool. did that because I was a back. I wasn't a forward, but So that was that was so much cooler than like a fifty fifty jump ball, you know, cornerback versus wide receiver. I mean you're literally being supported by a whole base of your teammates. I mean you're you're ten feet in the air, just being held there. That that was so cool. I thought that was really interesting, and like being able to see that. You know, I said a little bit earlier, but there's nothing like going to a live sporting event, and I think, especially for a sport that is unfamiliar to a lot of people, seeing stuff where you have people like, you know, do things like that, where you literally have to pick someone up so they could catch a ball that. You know, people try to draw these rugby to football comparisons. Out, Chris, I don't know how you feel about those, but I mean, it's I still think an aggressive are, game where you yeah. head towards one end of the field. It, it's a different kind of aggression, though, because in football, it's like a. I would say it's the difference between a contact sport and a collision sport. Football, you've got pads, you got a helmet, you're running into a guy full speed, and every yard matters. In rugby, you know, unless you're in like a goal line stand, um, where like the guys are like, you know, and you also remember you can't pass forward in rugby; you can only pass backwards. Um, which is why the game progresses the way it does. Unless there's like a goal line stand where they're like two yards away from the line for a try. Um, you know, whether a guy gets an extra yard or two rolling forward doesn't really matter. So when you're tackling someone in rugby, you're bringing them down. You're not really, I wouldn't really say hitting is the right word. You're just grabbing them and bringing them. It's kind of like you're wrestling them while you're running at them. Um, so, you know, so when, you know, in terms of athleticism, that's why like, you know, rugby players are generally pretty big, but they're not like, you know, Aaron Donald big because, you know, they also need the stamina to play, like, you know, run up and down the field for up to 80 minutes. So, I mean, I think in terms of hosting the rugby world, or it's the rugby world cup. What's, um, yep. I think that's huge. I mean, that's how you grow sports, you know, specific sport in a, in a certain area. When you have some, when you have people that are able to watch it on TV and you have a professional league that grows, I mean, once you have a professional team in a certain city, that team could then host clinics. That team could have, you know, they're going to have social media. They could host followings, and then, you know, people start going to their games, and they, like I said, they start hosting clinics, and they could go to schools, and, they like, rugby becomes more of a thing. And I think hosting the biggest rugby tournament, you know, next to the Olympics is such a good way for your team to get started, especially if, you know, the U.S. is competing with the likes of, like, Russia, Australia, you know, more countries that I assume rugby is more popular in. But New if, Zealand, South Africa, England, Wales, those kinds of countries. Right, yeah. England's going to host a women's tournament at some point when the U.S. Yes. is also bidding on that. So, I mean, this is how you grow it. Now when, you have, when you're going to have rugby on TV for a couple of days in a row, 
I think that that's cool. I mean, I hope the U.S. gets it. I'm certainly going to watch it, and I, I did not know there's a professional league. I'll, I'm definitely looking forward to that for the spring. No, yeah, I would I would definitely watch it. I think it's I think it's a great opportunity, like you said, Gideon, to grow the sport. If I could if I could just like direct this conversation to how a world rugby world cup or a world cup in general would work in the United States. What's always been interesting to me is, you know, how you decide where games are, how you decide where the final is, et cetera, et cetera. So Chris, where do you think is the best place for a rugby world cup final? That's a good question. Because so the U.S. is so big, and we got so many. There's a lot of cities that want to bid for this. Um, there's so many different arenas. There's so many different. I'll, I'll read you the full list. Um, it's uh, Atlanta, Austin, Baltimore, Birmingham, Alabama, Boston, Charlotte, Chicago, Cincinnati, Dallas, Denver, Houston, Indy, Kansas City, uh, Vegas, L.A., Miami, Minneapolis, Nashville, Tennessee, New Orleans, New York. I'm assuming New York is MetLife because I don't think they're going to play Yankee Stadium because uh, that would just look weird, but whatever. Um, Orlando, Philly. Oh, there's Philly again. Uh, Phoenix, <laughs> Pittsburgh, San Diego, San Francisco, Seattle, and Washington, and Vancouver. You so know, any one, city worth its name. Yeah, is, basically. The one that stu- uh, stood out to me there is Atlanta with the new stadium down there, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Like That would be, that would be a sick place to host a final, soccer and, and rugby. Because that yeah. I don't know I haven't I haven't seen Mercedes-Benz Stadium in person, but from t- from what it looks like on the TV, that's an incredible place to see a live sporting. I'll event. throw you a better one because Los Angeles had mentioned. I know the Rose Bowl is expected to be one of the venues that they want to potentially use for it, which is hosted you know countless soccer, international soccer tournaments. The field size is perfect for it and all that. Um, the LA uh, pro team also plays at the Coliseum, so there's that too. Um, SoFi Stadium. Now that. Is a stadium. You're in a big market. <laughs> You're in a big market in LA. The time zones work well because you know two of the big like a big market for it is Australia. So like they're taking that into consideration as well. Right. You know, I mean, not that it matters for a mostly indoor stadium, but the weather's perfect. Uh, LA is like built to host big events. I mean, obviously, I would like it to be a MetLife for for selfish reasons, but SoFi Stadium would just be unreal i just got done talking about how cool mercedes-benz stadium is but sofi takes that to a different level man like i haven't i haven't i also haven't seen sofi in person but man it's just that that's a stadium that looks like it took a couple billion dollars to build <laughs> like it if i'm being honest with myself got their money's worth oh yeah definitely i mean they got two really good football teams playing in there now yeah yeah <laughs> imagine they just throw out like um you should see Justin Herbert playing for the U.S. rugby team. Oh man! Yeah, who would, actually? That's that's a good segue. Who would be a like a good? I mean, I know football and rugby. I mean, I, I explained it's not the same sport, but like it would be someone who would fit really well. Well, Chris, you you described how rugby players aren't like Aaron Donald. They're big, but they have to move up and down the field. They have to have some sort of combination of size and speed. So DK Metcalf, yes. he could track you down from anywhere on the field, and he's not. He's not built like a lineman. He's he's tall he's, and lean, but he's, he's buff. I mean, he's, he's, big. he's bigger than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would think a tight end, like any yes. tight end, would be very good. Like Gronk, maybe. Yeah, Gronk would be good. Um, you know, also, I'm thinking like you know, not linemen, but like linebackers. Hmm. Um, True. Someone like that. Um, you know, you know, who someone just thought of who? Isaiah Simmons. Ever th- ever seen Isaiah Simmons? He's about like six four, like two thirty, I believe. But he yeah. plays literally every position on the defense. That's perfect. That was his. 
that was his trademark coming out of the draft when he is now is on the card. Because yeah, because I mean, because there are two position groups. I have six minutes, so I can kind of get into this a little bit. There are backs and forwards. Forwards are like the bigger guys. They're the ones that go up in the lineouts. They're the ones that lock together for like the scrums when they're battling for a ball off a reset. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Where they like combine like eight or nine of them together, or really it's like seven. Yeah, but. and you like kind of bend down like an offensive and defensive line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're like all connected to each other. Um, so basically, that's like the bigger ones. So that's where like you put like your linebackers and stuff, and then the backs, which is where I played, I mean like some five seven, um, are you know more of like the skill players, more like the speed guys. You know the guys that are you know they have a lower center of gravity, more elusive. I think you'd probably want to put like a running back out there. Running back, maybe a wide receiver on the wings. Um, maybe if you convert a corner or a safety, um, you know they could probably play that pretty well. So, well, what kind of running back do you want? Like a Derrick Henry kind of running back? I mean, or- Derrick Henry would be ideal. I mean, he's ideal for a lot of situations. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> also, what's crazy is he's not like the biggest in terms of like weight running back in the NFL. I mean, Eddie Lacy's retired, so I have no, no idea. No, 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 no. no, no. Um, AJ Dillon. Really. He's either 250 or 255. I'm going to look it up right now. He's, he's, he is bigger than Derrick Henry. Yeah, I'm so. looking at that right now. Aaron Dillon, or A.J. Dillon weighs in at, or stands in at six feet, weighs 247 pounds. Oh, they are the same. But he's shorter, so he's technically bigger, like, if you adjust for that. Because he right. was 250 when he was at uh, Boston College. Okay, I have, I have the heaviest running backs in history. Okay, I want to hear this. Jerome Bettis, 5'11", 252. That's ridiculous. That's a, that's a bowling ball if I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is, wow, I didn't even know that. Jamal Lewis, 5'11", 240. Any, any other names that I could? C.J. Anderson, there's a name, 5'8", 225. Hmm. That's like slightly taller than me by like an inch yeah. and 225. That's ridiculous. Eddie there's Eddie Lacy, five eleven, two fifty. Um Yeah. This article's this article's a little this art this article's worded weird. It's like there's a section for the hefty chunker running backs. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then there's absolute units, big but not great. And then there's oh Lord, here he coming. Someone had way too much time on their hands. Yeah, like, there's a different (laughs) big chonkers. (laughs) That's no way to talk about a human being. But um, (laughs) seriously, though, like, yeah, but there is a difference between, like, you know, someone being built like DK Metcalf or or, uh, Derrick Henry or someone being built like Kelvin Benjamin. Like, I I think there's a difference. And I I think that was what the writer in their inelegant way was trying to get across there. Yeah, of course. And if you know how to use your size for different strengths, you know, you could. You could be more agile, or maybe you're able to have some more yards after contact. You know, that's just you know, if you're used, if you know how to use your body in a way that it's going to benefit your skill set. Yeah. Uh, but just going back to rugby for a sec before we send it to our break, I got a legal idea. And Chris, how far would you be willing to travel to go to a rugby World Cup game? Ooh, good oh, question. I mean, that's dependent on my budget. Keep in mind, uh, the average uh, annual salary for a journalism major six years removed from graduation is about, I don't know. 15 bucks uh, a, a month <laughs> on a so, good day yeah yeah um you know assuming you know i have the resources i would i would want to you know also just to get the stadium off my checklist and neither of my teams really play at, at there like on a regular basis i would say sofi stadium for a, a game uh, but i'm more likely to check out something closer to me like 
you know, MetLife or like DC or, well, maybe not DC because FedEx Field is a dump, but like I would drive up to Boston. I would drive up to, I think Buffalo was on that list. I, I would, I would do that. Buffalo is a great city. I mean, I think. Is it really? Uh, I'd actually highly recommend. Oh, really? Buffalo I drove through it. City? It didn't seem impressive. It's not. It's not a city where you go to spend two weeks in, but it's a city that. <laughs> okay, then. I that's heard a the opposite about Buffalo. To be honest with you, now if anyone who's listening to the show lives in Buffalo, I don't I am, think so. Am, That'd be impressive, first of all. It, it would, but I would. I would. I don't want to judge from afar, but that's that's what I heard. I heard Buffalo is not a very pleasant city. But Chris, I kind of like how you had the balance of practicality versus. St- the you know how iconic a stadium is like so yeah. stadium is not easy to get to that's a flight you're not you know unless you want to make a right. your road trip i'm saying if it. i'm going to put in the resources to travel that's where i would want to go so i could absolutely respect also that. but could you imagine like say the united states is like better at rugby in 2027 than they are now because right now they like make it but they don't really do much in yeah, the world cup that's a good question chris how so first of all how good is the u.s at Rugby and who's the cream of the crop? We are currently 17th in the world. Um, they've kind of gone up and down a little bit, but they've never like challenged for a World Cup title. So I'll okay. just say that right now. The cream of the crop would be New Zealand, South Africa, England, Ireland, Scotland, France, Wales. Um, There's a lot Zealand? of United Kingdom in there. Australia, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they they invented the game. France is good too. Um, Argentina and Japan are like the two like newcomers to like the top of it um so yeah there there are some there are some good countries but you know six years or you know potentially six plus four ten years from now um you see i did the math uh in my head there um that that's a long time from now i think that they could be better by then compared to now because like they just got a professional league going you know guys who normally would play at college and then just you know get a real job are potentially playing pro rugby i think that that's gonna you know change things a bit so i think it'll be i think it'll be fun um, I think you know, even if they don't make go make too deep of a run, I think it's going to expose a lot of people to the sport that otherwise wouldn't pay attention to it. Um, and you know, I just think it's a good idea. So, yeah, fun sport to play if you haven't, which I'm assuming neither of you have. I think we're gonna have to try out rugby at one point. Now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have okay. not, but I mean, it's, it seems like an awesome sport. It seems fun. It seems like I like I like the sports you could run up, you know, run up and down the field. Those we we talked a little bit before about how people were complaining about the NBA stoppages in action and. From what I've seen in Olympic rugby, there's not much. It's all there's always something happening. There's always something that you're getting ready for. Yeah, it's like it combines like the physicality of like football with like the constant speed of soccer, or even I would even say hockey in some points. Because when there's a fast break, like it goes like that. So, you know, that's that's kind of how I would describe it. But yeah, it's a fun time. It's a fun time. Maybe we get <laughs> maybe instead of the basketball game, we do an RTU uh, Targum uh, rugby game. Oh. <laughs> I think my value goes significantly down. I wouldn't I'm, say uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I wasn't exactly good. I just, you know, liked playing. Hey, but so. as long as you show up without your phone in your pocket and ready to play, <laughs> what more can we ask? I was gonna for? say I went, I went to the gym today and like it, like my phone fell in my pocket and then on the last rep like my foot slipped and I almost like messed up my back. But you know, other than that, I, I can't I, I can't I can't even work out with my phone in my pocket, let alone play a game of basketball. It depends on what I'm doing. Like, like if I'm sitting at a machine or even on a bench, like I'm fine. But right, like right. if I'm doing anything lower body, I gotta get out. I gotta like put it somewhere. Mm. That's I mean that's just me. Step one for rugby: don't have phone in pocket. Right it's now. ideal. <laughs> I mean, actually, rugby shorts don't even have pockets. I don't think. At least I don't remember having one that does. I don't know why you would have pockets during a game. But in any case, um, rugby World Cup potentially coming to America in 2027 or 2031. Women's tournament in 2029. Definitely something to keep an eye on. I think, you know, if it happens, it would be a lot of fun. But 
out the corner of my eye, I saw a pretty little thing approaching Hour two me. of the Wednesday crew here on WRSU. If you're just joining us after, I don't know, say, picking up some slides from the yard from uh, Rutgers basketball, welcome. Uh, we're on till eight. I'm here with Gideon Fox and Jack Basea. I forgot about that. Wait, no, that's tomorrow, right? The no. Steve Peichel thing? Nope. No, that's today. That's right now. Oh, it was literally man. during the show. That's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. But um very nice guy, by the way, Steve Peichel. I got, oh, he's I the, got man. the privilege to uh to talk to a lot of the guys um on Friday. Did you get a chance to talk to Pike? I got a, I got a chance to ask the question. I was the most nervous I've been in about a you couple shouldn't of years. be. He's like the most laid back coach to interview. He's, he's a nice guy. It was just it was just the fact that I'm I'm asking a question. No, I know. What did what time. did you ask him out of curiosity? So you know on Rutgers basketball's Instagram where they have a lot of the they call it hashtag our team Tuesdays. Um, when so they when they went to jet ski around uh, New York Harbor, they went to Hurricane Harbor. They had a bar- barbecue at Coach Peichel's house. Have you guys seen that over the summer? Yeah, I saw uh, yes. some clips of those. Yeah, so I asked him about that. I basically asked him how how do you, how he thinks that impacted team chemistry coming off of COVID. Saying seemed seemed like he liked it, but yeah, uh, it was it was my first question I've ever asked to a head coach. So it was uh, it was it was nerve wracking, but I yeah. got through it. And then like I, got, I said, he's not like a scary guy to interview. Like not he's, at all. he's very laid back. Not I at mean, all. we I don't know if I told you this, but we interview him before every home game. Okay. So, um, you know, pre-COVID, we did it in his office. Last year, we had to do it on Zoom, obviously. Um, fingers crossed we're able to do it in his office or somewhere in person again. Um, but, you know, it's a fun time. You know, he's very laid back. You know, great that he's willing to give us, you know, two to three minutes of his time before game. Oh, exactly. Especially, like, a big game. Um, you know, so, yeah, he's great. And I'll add one more thing. I had I talked to Cliff O'Mori, a story about Cliff and how I think he's going to have a big season is coming out on the Targum. It should be out on Friday morning. Oh, that should be a go. Oh, That's, all right. All right. I like that. Cliff, Cliff was a very good guy to talk to. I talked to, um, what's his name, Oscar Palmquist. I talked to Ron, and I talked to Ralph Agee. Now, Ralph was a really, really good person to talk to. That was that was a fun conversation okay. with Ralph. Ralph is okay. very all, all of them were very fun to talk to, but – Ralph in particular was really really cool guy. That's I, good to know that Ralph is easy to talk to because like Cliff's been this is his second year here. He spent time here. He knows the fans. But I mean, Ralph hasn't really done anything here yet besides just for some off season practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like you know both both men's and women's basketball have good like athletes to interview. Um, uh, for instance, you know, I mean, we talked to Gio, Ron, and Caleb. <laughs> I actually have a class with Ron, so that like he kind of recognized me from that. So like that. me too. I use that as an icebreaker when I went <laughs> up to Ron because like this yeah. is like. I've had this conversation a million times about who's the most famous person, famous famous student on Rutgers campus, and I think Ron is easily top three, and he's probably not three. So it was, you know, I as an icebreaker, I went up to him like, "Hey, I'm in your uh, media ethics and law class. I don't know if you uh, know that." So uh, cool. it's, it's a good icebreaker. Yeah, I was gonna say hey, the first, actually the first day of class that I had. Um, of that class, one of the questions the professor asked me was who my favorite Rutgers basketball yeah, player was. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned that on air, but yeah. Yeah, Jack, Ron never sits near us in class, though. We always get in, we go to the right side of class. Right. He's always on the other side. But, I mean, all those guys are nice. I mean, I've talked to Cliff before, and they're all sweet guys. But they're, they're all, all laid back. The coverage. They're all but they're all laid back. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I got, like, I talked to, like, I think each interview I did was, like, seven minutes long with Caleb, Ron, and Gio. And they're all terrific guys. You know, not just, you know, in terms of, you know, being good to interview, but they're just like you could you can sense they're genuinely good people. Um, and I think that that's right. Something that we're very fortunate about. And for what it's worth, you know, women's basketball and there's a lot of you know things that we're not going to find out until we see them play just because, you know, they have 
was it eight new players, six transfers, something to that effect? I and then they had the pretty much the same numbers of that the year before. I mean, this team this exactly. team is completely different from the team of pre-COVID. But last year they at least had like you know you know some anchor pieces that were there the year before, right? Arella, Takia, yes, um, Miles Giles. You know, um, exactly. now it feels like the whole core has been changed, and you know, so they sent out. Uh, Laisha Petri and Osh Brown and both of them talked to Jake Schmid while I was talking to coach uh, Tim Eatman all terrific interviews so you know we're just really lucky to have approachable athletes here at Rutgers that was that was interesting Chris about the Rutgers women's basketball team during this during the summer about how many people left the program do you you know exactly why well, I mean, most of them graduated. A couple of them entered the I know, portal. I know that Diamond Johnson, their five-star prospect that they got last year, he, she transferred. He says NC State now. Yeah, I found yeah. that very surprising. I didn't know yeah. if you knew something that I didn't. No, I mean, there's really nothing to know that like isn't already public knowledge. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a setback. I mean, Diamond Johnson was the centerpiece of that recruiting class. And right. for what it's worth, the year before, Giddy, Maury Davenport as well. So, you know, that's definitely not something you want. But, you know, this staff has shown that they're not afraid to hit the transfer portal to get, you know, in the case of Brown and, and Petri uh, in particular, you know, two players who have, like, you know, set records at their old schools um, in terms of scoring, rebounding, you name it. Um, so to see them, you know, be able to, you know, potentially lead a Big Ten team, uh, a Big Ten team that's finished, you know, top three in the Big Ten two of the last three years, you know, I think that's pretty good. So. And they're working under a very, very experienced coaching staff. Yes, and, and that's not just Stephen Meechinger. That's, you know, Tim Eatman's been around the program for a long time, um, Nadine Damone, Michelle Edwards, all of them. I mean, that staff has just been, you know, the job that they've done is terrific. So Absolutely, and you mentioned C. Vivian Stringer in interviews. She's one of her press conferences and her interviews were some of the most fun I have ever had at press conferences. She gives such, like, well expressed answers and like always throws in a fun story and no matter win or loss she always is there for the press conference and you know sometimes i mean even after it could be a one point loss and she'll answer every single question in the press conference and even if people you know you know everyone in the press conference is usually pretty courteous of people's time and they want to you know they understand that a coach has to talk to their team but she will answer every single question and then once it's done just say thank you guys for coming you know, oh, good to see you. And she always try to make small talk after. And I think that's big, especially after yes. a loss. The last thing you want to do is talk to reporters. You just want to go back, be with your team, figure out what happened. But she puts such a good face to that program. And is always, that was the first press conference I'd ever been to. And that was the first real, you know, the first, the biggest sport I'd ever covered when I started as a freshman. And she, she recognized me by my second or third game there. She asked me how I was doing. And I think having those kinds of people build the culture around your school and around your program, I think says a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, you can't argue with what she's accomplished, um, not just at Rutgers, but just in general. So, um, you know, on that note, though, that kind of leads into something that, you know, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe we haven't talked about, but we should. Um, so the Chicago Sky won the WNBA finals on Sunday. Uh, Kalia Copper was, you know, uh, won the finals MVP award, um, you know, just a key part of what that Sky team does. But the Phoenix Mercury did not hold availability after they lost that game, which, you know, I've never heard of a pro team doing that after a championship game. Have you? Or any any game for that matter. No, I mean, you've seen players storm out of the room, but you've never you've never seen the full availability the team canceled. just be like, no availability. Like, I find that, I mean, look, I understand. It's, it's I mean, it's unbelievably tough to 
lose a finals in any sport. But, you know, when you're a pro athlete, and college is a little different, but if you're a pro athlete, like, it's usually in your contract that you have to, like, be available to the media. So, yeah. Well, I go back to Monty Williams when they lost the finals, the Phoenix Suns. And did he hold press conference? No press conference. I think he did. I'm pretty sure he did. I've, we would have heard about the it main, if he did. The main thing that I remember from that is that he went into the Bucks locker room and congratulated. That's them. okay, but that that did. that is. I mean, Monty Williams just a class act in general. Um, so you know that doesn't really surprise me. But I'm I'm talking specifically like canceling availabilities after a tough loss. I, I just I'm sorry. I'm not a I've, fan of that. I've heard of I've heard of players not wanting to talk to the media like not being available like for instance lebron's not going to talk after every single game at a minimum the coach should be available exactly yeah Yeah. in my opinion but you know that's just canceling it outright especially at the end of the season where you know those questions are kind of at a fever pitch where like you know there's a lot of questions to be asked basically you you lost championship you have to you have to you know face up (laughs) you have to face up to in my opinion yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no argument here. But then again, I might just be the angry journalist yelling at a cloud. So, um. <laughs> well, I also think this WNBA Finals. You guys probably saw a picture of the arena. It was packed, and I think that's so cool because the league is finally getting the recognition it deserves. Yes, and a part of getting that recognition that the they deserve and has been a long time coming. And I'm, it you know, it's 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 too late, but I'm happy that it's finally here. It took them a while, and they deserve all this attention and more. You have to act that part, too. And canceling media availability, like you said, Chris, that's unheard of. And if you want to pack stadiums and keep a good name surrounding your league, which the WNBA has, then you have to have teams that honor, you know, it is a almost a written rule. You, you know, you imagine that it'd be in their contract somewhere. And I think what was so cool about these finals was to just see a packed arena and finally the WNBA getting what it deserves and getting, you know, it's another competitive basketball league that, for being a Rutgers basketball fan, you see a ton of alumni in that league, way more than the NBA. And seeing that packed arena made me, like, you know, finally seeing what the, what the WNBA deserves and then seeing a team cancel their media availability just, like, felt like didn't match, didn't did not match up. No, no. I mean, I'm trying to think who the last um, NBA player from Rutgers was. I was about to say that. I was going to say I could say with full confidence that there is no – Rutgers there's no current the one NBA, yeah. at least at least right now I'm looking I'm looking at right now at the WNBA players in the NBA from Rutgers now this is an article that's a little bit outdated it's from 2018 and wait no it's Scarlet Scarlet Knights in the NBA 2020 okay so Arella Garantes is in there but um she's not on the article so Kalia Copper Betnesia Laney Erica Wheeler Essence Carson just got inducted to the Rutgers Hall of Fame congrats to her Epiphany Prince, Kia Vaughn. This this list goes on for a pretty long time, and it kind of just shows the program that Steve Vivian Stringer has built here at Rutgers. It's been a pro. It's been a program that's very been very consistent over the years, and I think that's something they have to give Steve Vivian Stringer, sorry, a lot of credit for. Right, now, when we answer this question, are we including players that started their career at Rutgers but did not finish there? Do we count that? As like a Rutgers yeah, I'll player, get, I'll leave it up to you, Chris. Yeah, that's tough because it depends where the majority of your time was spent. I mean, if you if you went somewhere like if Miles Johnson makes the NBA, I would still consider him a Rutgers. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right, Gideon. I agree with that. But I mean, if you if you rode the bench for your first season at Rutgers, played limited minutes your second year, then went somewhere else, then no, I don't consider that. Most reason 
like most recent in terms of most recent to graduate from Rutgers, it's Quincy Doobie. He, he was the actually was a first round draft pick by the Kings. Um, you know, he only had like a four or so year career. That's probably why um, um, his career didn't pan out. Ouch! Ouch! Well, well, Kings. the year they drafted him was the last summer after they uh, last made the playoffs. So, yeah, uh, two thousand six. So. Another conversation. How much? How long has been the fr- fr- since the Kings made the playoffs, man? In terms of most recent to play in the NBA, it's Dante Jones. Right. Dante Jones him. played two his first two years uh, at Rutgers, uh, which actually coincides with when uh, Pav was sports director. But that's another argument. Um, <laughs> and then he transferred to Duke, and you know, we all know him as a Duke player. But you know. That's sort of my, my number one thing I remember for Dante Jones. He was on the 2016 Cavs when they won the title. He he didn't play. He had a he had one moment in Game Six of that series. Um, LeBron hit him for and one. It was like you know it was a cool moment for a guy who doesn't really play a lot. Right. But um yeah that's what I remember him for. He was on that team. Did not know he was a Rutgers alum though. Well he's not an alum because he transferred after two years. But he was Rutgers with the program for two years so. Yeah, that counts for something. Yeah, I'll take it. I this is this is a conversation that we can't be picky in. No, no. You're but, you're right. You're right though, Giddy. About you know you got to take into account how long a player plays at Rutgers. Like Miles Johnson is a Rutgers guy. He like full full out. Miles Johnson is a Rutgers guy versus someone that met a play one year and didn't you know didn't play as much or didn't spend as much time here. There's a difference there. Yeah, I mean exactly. I think Jacob Young too. I mean, he came from he came from Texas too. Like he's not a Texas player. He played he spent 2 years there, but you know, this year we'll see what happens. But I mean, I want to think of Jacob Young as a Rutgers guy. He was so impactful to those two teams that he was on here. Yeah, I I would agree. Jacob Young is a Rutgers guy cuz he accomplished so much in his time here too. He was on arguably two of the most important teams in Rutgers basketball's history. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, that's going to change now. Um, yeah, I think this current crop and you know the new younger guys that are coming into Rutgers basketball. I think we're going to see some guys in the league pretty soon. I could talk about Rutgers basketball all day, basically. Okay, with the season, we've got forty-one minutes coming up. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you if you guys want to talk about Rutgers basketball for a little bit, Did you I, see um Cliff um uh, see see uh, the drill he was doing uh, earlier today on Twitter. I did not actually. I've been I've been very busy. Today. Basically, he kept doing the um, I don't want to say like it's like a backhanded layup. It's not like a reverse layup per se, but um, but he was doing it one handed and he made like all of them. Like basically showed a much softer where, touch at the rim. Where is it at? I don't is remember exactly. I, it just popped up on my feed. I'm I'm sure if you gotcha. look it up, you can find it. But yeah, that that's interesting though because I did I was able to watch the practice on Friday and I got a lot. Of okay, what are your takeaways? I so it was I didn't really see the. The, the highlights where it's um you know the great this is the greatest Rutgers shooting team I've ever seen they had a I don't know if you guys saw that report over the summer yeah like it was actually a couple weeks ago but yeah I didn't see I, maybe maybe they had a cold day it's just one practice of course one day but I didn't see that but there is some there is a lot of promise on the team first of all Paul and Gio were ma- were the main ball handlers the entire way through those were the two guys that were handling the ball the majority of the time um. I think the two guys that made the biggest impression on me were Mawat Mag and Jalen Miller. And Mawat Mag, he looks like he's improved a lot, in my opinion. 
He's got a shot. He's got a shot. I know you don't really think of a Watt Mag as being a shooter, but he's got a fluid shot. I was I saw him in the drills. I saw him at the free throw line. He's got a shot that could work, and he's a wing defender. He's got a lot of athleticism. I think he could be a good player for us this this uh, this season. And then Jalen Miller, he just got on campus. His trademark is defense, and he was showcasing that the entire practice. He made it tough on Geo up and down the court. It was really interesting to see. And we all know that Geo has been self-critical on what he thinks is a uh, a weakness of his, you know, handling the ball late in games. Um, you know, he said that he needed to improve his ball handling after what happened against Houston. He had the turnover at the end of the game. I think Jalen Miller's Jalen Miller's ability to push Geo in practice is going to be really important for our success. And I think if Jalen Miller could, you know, show some show some um, sorry show some promise on offense. I think he could really, really be an impactful player and possibly crack the rotation. Well, I think having someone whose trademark is defense perfectly fits what Steve Peichel built at Rutgers, and that's exactly what this team needs. I think losing Jacob Young, who was really the energizer bunny, he was all over the, the floor picking up rebounds, or excuse me, causing turnovers and then turning those into layups and on the fast break. So I think losing someone like that definitely impacts the defense and obviously Jacob Young had an offensive impact too but knowing that or at least hoping that Jalen Miller is able to help out on defense and like be this be be a cornerstone of the Rutgers defense is going to be huge this year and I also Jack you you might be able to confirm this but I heard and I saw all over Twitter that Rutgers was shooting very very well from the foul line yes and not just compared to you know not just relative to Rutgers they were actually hitting shots from the foul line which you know we all saw that ha- what happened last year. Rutgers was abysmal from the foul line. They closed out their practice on Friday with free throws. They got into different group. They got groups of two, and they shot free throws. I was focusing on Cliff because obviously I had the story that I mentioned before that I had to write on him. Um, he went eight for eight or ten for ten, one of the two. He didn't miss a free throw. That's the point from the free throw line. So that was really encouraging. Now, it's a completely different animal when you're in front of a road Big Ten crowd. I think that's the big question, or Mark. you're in front of a rack student section that has their hands up like this the whole time, um, which I don't understand, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's a different atmosphere. But it is encouraging to see you know, them work on it and hopefully have it translate to the floor. Because you're right. That was a huge weakness last year. Free throw shooting is a massive part of basketball when games are decided by as close of margins that there is. I mean, imagine being down four points with like 10 seconds to go or whatever versus being down three points if you just make one free throw. I mean, that that could that's how that's how that's how games could be decided basically. I mean, especially in the Big 10. You exactly. know, knowing how competitive this is and I think if I mean, Rutgers was one of the worst teams in the country. They were bottom they're they're like bottom five at some points in the season and I think that's just one of the fundamentals that like Jack you were saying I mean that's such it's just a it's a bonus I mean if someone fouls you you literally get a stand at the free throw line it's just you and the basket it's a penalty shot in hockey except there's no goalie it's just you and the basket I mean and you can practice those all day and you make a good point about the student section even though obviously the Rutgers student section will be silent and will be hoping that their player sinks it it's a completely different experience especially being the APC Versus the rack where you have, you know, so much more behind the baskets at the rack, and the APC is just a, a smaller practice court with not really much behind the baskets. But even if the team is able to start hitting free throws in practice, you just hope that bodes well for what happens when they actually are on the foul line, either at the rack or at any other Big Ten arena. 
Now, I will say that for someone that might not play basketball a lot, you know, you see someone at the free throw line, you know, just them in the basket. It's, you know, I, I don't know how many feet it is from the free throw line to the basket, but just them in the basket. All you have to do is just stand there, shoot, and make the shot. It might sound easy, but it's really not, especially if you're not a shooter. If you're not a shooter, it makes it uh, 10 times more difficult to make a free throw, especially with all the added pressure that you were talking about, Giddy, of being all being in a road Big Ten arena or at the rack, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's, it, it is, it's a more challenging shot than you would think, to be honest with you. And a true testament to a great shooter is really good free throw shooting. And you can see that easily with Steph Curry. Steph Curry is like a consistently 90% free throw shooter. He went 9 for 9 from the line last night. He's always been money, and that's how you know Steph Curry's an amazing free th- or shooter in general. But, yeah, it's free throw shooting is a lot harder than what you might think it is. But I guess what makes it so difficult, though? It's just it's, – it's, it's, I think it's a mental thing, in my opinion. Okay. When you're a guy that doesn't really have – if you're not a shooter, if you're a Miles Johnson type of guy, if you're a Clifford Warrior type of guy where shooting is not your job on the court, it makes it a lot harder to go up there and sink a free throw shot. Um, yeah, that, that, would be, that would be my answer for that. I think, I think if you don't have a fluid shot motion, it's, it's a different dynamic than having someone who could shoot really well. I mean, and that's what we saw with Miles Johnson last year. Where he would get fouled and go to the foul line and not be able to convert. And we know how impactful Miles Johnson was when he was in the paint, when he was hitting his layups. But, you know, seeing – you know, it makes sense. If you're you're going to foul the guy that you know is a bucket if he's in the paint, but you're going to keep fouling him if he's anything but a bucket from the from the charity stripe. Yeah, that too. I think, I think that's also a factor, so – but I'm excited. I think we're officially less than three weeks till, and we sold, oh, sold out like out. four more games too. Yeah, I got to make sure I get into that opening game somehow now because I didn't. I didn't get a student ticket. I knew that they were going to. You can sell get them out. on the StubHub. Costs are not that bad. Student ticket though. Uh, Someone might know. be get, getting rid of theirs at some point closer to the season. Hoping, you always I'm see it like last so. minute. I knew they were yeah. going to sell out, but I didn't think they would sell out in 24 hours like that, especially student tickets. Because I'm old enough to remember when, back in 2019, my freshman year, when I would go to a basketball game, and I literally just walked in there, like, no problem at all, like, student section, barely anyone, and uh, I was able to get into the game. Now it's now it's like this. Yeah, you, I mean, for the non-conference slate, the NJIT game is a completely sold-out rack. The Lafayette game is a sold-out rack. I don't know. People, uh, people really like their Highlanders. You know, it could be a good uh, NJIT <laughs> contingent uh, coming in. It's the new Garden State hardwood rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be that's gonna be a fun one. It's Rutgers versus Seton Hall. I knew there was some, there was some uh, problems with getting that game onto the schedule. Problems that were entirely the fault of one school not named <laughs> Rutgers. That's, a, that's an interesting that's an interesting. Uh, topic to bring up Seton Hall too because when I was we were talking about the NBA um earlier at the top of the show Sandro Mamushkavili I think that's how you say his Mamu name. They, call, they call him Mamu though he is a member of the Bucks he actually played last night seven minutes I remember seeing him in the game so I thought that was a cool thing to see you know obviously as Rutgers people we don't really like Seton Hall but um it's cool to see someone who a New Jersey college product get time in the NBA well Miles Powell too he was on the actual Knicks for a small amount of time. I don't remember how long that was, but I think he last played with the Westchester Knicks 
in the G League. Is he still He's on back the on roster? the Knicks? He got oh. signed a couple days ago. I remember oh, okay. Seeing. Back on the Go New ahead. York Knicks, on the in the NBA. Um, I don't know the specifics, but I know I saw that he got signed. Is it? Is it? Does it make me a bad Rutgers fan if I admit that I like Miles Powell? Like, I know he just seems like like take out take the Seton Hall element out of it for a second. He just seems like a good guy, like who's like good to root for. You could appreciate good basketball too. I mean, he's that a phenom- too. He's a phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basketball but he just player. seems like he doesn't. You know, he doesn't seem like a. He's not like you know. You know, it's not like he's a dirty player or anything. You know, we're not talking about like you know Grayson Allen tripping people up in the ACC left and right. So um, I remember he. Um, I remember he got hurt in that Rutgers Seton Hall game. Yes. Yeah. Two concussion. years ago, when we just basically came out and just ended the game we uh, we turned the sliders up in the first three minutes <laughs> that <laughs> was a wide were you guys in the game were you guys i was there? there oh i was absolutely what we did there. was here i'll tell you the story actually For wrs you were student um I, I was there so actually that's a little complicated of an answer so um we did something different uh for the rutgers scene hall game that we don't normally do for basketball um so justin and troy who are the two sports directors before me um were calling the game and I was with two seniors at the time, Jake and Corey, um, who both graduated in 2020. Um, and we were hosting a pregame show live on site where we were just, you know, we were talking to fans. We were asking them trivia questions, giving away shirts and all that. We were out, like, on the plaza, like, in between, like, you know, Henry's Diner and the entrance to the rack. So but that's where we were chilling. I don't know if you guys, I mean, it's been two years, so you guys probably don't remember, but the weather was not great that day. It was overcast, drizzling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, but we yeah, had a tent, so like we were fine. Yeah. But then the wind just out of nowhere picks up, right? So, you know, we're like, all right, um, we might have to wrap this up. And then out of nowhere, the tent starts to blow off. Oof. Oh. So a couple uh, strangers were kind enough to uh, help us uh, pin it down. Do you know who one of the strangers was? Miles Powell. No. <laughs> Bo Melton. Really? really? He just happened to be in the wow. location. <laughs> That's and awesome. Hel- hel- helped us hold it down. I didn't even like see him until I was like, oh, can you believe Bo Melton? I'm like, really? What he was guy. here? <laughs> I was like, he must have been behind me or something. Um, yeah, but but I mean, yeah. But that's that's basically how that worked. But then we had to break out down the equipment, the tent and everything, and then we just went in. I actually got in like right like as opening tip. It was like right when they were finishing up doing the thing with the lights. Oh, that was cool that? on your phone. Yeah, yeah, I saw like the tail end of that as I was walking in. I just I feel like I feel like they do such a good job with that. And I've been to a lot of professional sporting events. They do such a good job with the pregame, in my opinion. Well, it's also easy to do when every single seat is filled and then some. Oh, I mean, yeah. and also yeah. like there's eight thousand people instead of eighteen thousand, so it's a little easier to manage in terms of just getting everyone on the same page. Right. I don't know. That's just me, maybe. But I just feel like it's a different type of energy at the rack and. You know, that's that is something we're going to be seeing but, a lot of yeah. this year, and I'm very happy for it. But the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, yes, we. I mean, there's no better atmosphere, in my opinion, than a sold-out rack. But the way the rack is built, even if it's like, you know, a good but not great crowd, even if it's like, say, 6,000 instead of 8,000, it still gets, like, ridiculously loud in there. Absolutely. I mean, and I mean, that's why it's a trapezoid of terror. And I think <laughs> even Jersey when you're— Mike's trapezoid of terror now. Yeah, actually, it's funny. You guys remember the Trapezoid of Terror Twitter account that got kind of big, like yeah. in 2019, yeah, yeah, 2020. Yeah, yeah. The guy actually called the Nightline a couple times. The guy that has the the, the, the NBA, he was like, "Yeah, head. I'm Trapezoid of Terror," and I'm like, "All right, this is like one of our proudest achievements. We got him on <laughs> Nightline." Man, those Nightlines were so much fun. You guys haven't really experienced it yet because you know we the there is no 
better nightline that you'll ever have than men's basketball after a win with people driving home because people have made a habit of you know when there are fans and last year we got fewer callers because there were no fans in the stands um people made a habit of tuning into the nightline and listening to us and calling into us after to a lesser extent football but especially basketball um the best nightline we ever had in my opinion in, in the time that i've been here was after the Maryland game in 2020. It was the last game of the regular season. You remember the Storm Chasers came. Maryland was number nine in the country at the time. Legendary. Great game. Legendary. I, I had a class, so I unfortunately could not go. Um, so I missed the first half. And then I come to the station because, you know, a couple of my friends are here producing. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll hang around, watch the second half, go on Nightline after. Um, and then, you know, the Nightline after that was – most Nightlines tend to last like 45 minutes or so. That's usually like the amount of time we allot. This one lasted almost two hours. Wow. Whoa. Because people just kept calling in. You know, we stopped, like, for, like, you know, the Pikeville Press Conference. We stopped because we used to do newscasts at 10 p.m. on weeknights. So we stopped for, like, five minutes to do the newscast, and we went right back to Nightline. Um, so, you know, but we went, like, the game ended around 9 or so. We were on until almost 11 o'clock because people kept calling in. Now, the Maryland game was a phenomenal win, but the game after that is one of my favorite Rutgers games of all time. The you game know. after, oh, you're talking about the Purdue game. Purdue was that oh. Purdue on the road? That, yes, on oh the road. My God, yep. yes. They're all red uniforms. Their senior day on the road. Geo, I I say this to anyone who asks. The clutchest performance I've seen from a player in basketball in any sport. In, oh, in basketball. In, I mean. in ba- any sp- okay, I'll say I'll say I'm gonna say basketball for now. I have to yeah, yeah I misheard you sport. at first. That's why the clutchest I jumped performance on I've seen in a basketball game was Geo Baker at Purdue. That it was. It was ridiculous what he was able to do against Purdue. He hit, he might have hit like two or three gigantic game-changing shots in that game. Most notably at the end of regulation, um, I can't remember exactly what happened, but Purdue had a two-point lead, and then Geo Baker comes down whole Mackey Arena. You know Mackey Arena. Mackey Arena is going crazy. Their senior night, like I said, Geo Baker comes down, hits the most ridiculous turnaround fadeaway shot I've ever seen. Ties the game. They go to overtime. Geo hits another big shot in overtime to seal the game. I, I'm just, I'll, I'll tell that to Geo too. Like if I ever get a chance to talk to him, the clutchest moment I've, these clutch performances I've ever seen in sports, you against Purdue. And it was also on the road too. Like you mentioned, Mackey Arena is not an easy arena to play in for the tournament too. Oh, there was there was so much on the line for that the night. tournament. Wow, that was that brings me back. That was a good time. That was like that was the end of of the end of the year. That was December. That was when everything was perfect. I actually have that was a legendary. Do you guys? Because and again, I feel like I feel like an old man like telling his grandkids uh, stories right now because uh, neither of you guys were at WRSU back then. Um, but I remember. Where I was when that happened, I was not one. We, we I was not at the game. I was not producing. There was a radio college radio conference called the uh, IBS Intercollegiate Broadcasting uh, Broad uh, Conference that we had. It was in Manhattan. It was at the the uh, Hotel Pennsylvania or whatever it's called, um, and in Midtown. So we were there for two days. Uh, the first day I went, I got to tour the FAN studios and, and all that. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, the morning was like, you know, a couple of workshops and then we had a, a like a two hour break for lunch and then we would uh, go back for the awards. This is also like the last normal weekend before COVID hit. Keep that in mind, too. Right. That was very late January. <laughs> I remember it was like it, it, it's, you know, to get off topic for a half second. It was also kind of indicative of how quickly things move, because on Sunday, the guy was like, 
oh, I'm worried about COVID. Let me use some hand sanitizer. We all kind of laughing it off. And then three days later, like we were thrown off campus. That was uh, on that week. Some of the most unbelievable things we'll probably ever experience. Oh, and you guys were freshmen back then too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that makes it even crazier in my opinion. That was, that was such a legendary sports weekend though, because I know, I remember the Lakers won. Lakers had a huge weekend. So they played the Bucks and then they played the Clippers. You guys remember two years ago how big the Clippers Lakers was? Yes. They mm-hmm. proved themselves. They won two back to back games in LA. And then sandwiched in between was that Rutgers win on Saturday. So I walked out of that weekend feeling like a million bucks. And then literally, I, I can't say the word on, uh, on, on the uh, airwaves, but everything hit the fan. <laughs> everything hit the fan after that week. It was just like we went till Tuesday, where it's like, okay, when are we going home? Like, are we gonna go home? Like, it's like oh, look at that! <laughs> they extended spring break another week. How nice! Right, but <laughs> <laughs> but don't go to Miami, <laughs> <laughs> please don't. Um, but um, yeah. Uh, but to get back to the point about the Rutgers game, so we went to we we went walked around. We found a uh, sports bar and grill that um, you know, we could go and watch the game while we were eating. Um, and it just so happened to be a St. John's bar, which I find makes the story so much better. That St. John's has dedicated like a, a well, no, but it was like a bar like themed around St. John's basketball, which you know is a former Big East rival. You know, I thought that was kind of cool. They're like, oh, you guys here for the St. John's game? And Justin, <laughs> Justin, who's our GM at the time, uh, he was a diehard Rutgers fan from like the day he was born. Like, no, 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 we're here for the Rutgers game. So we go into the back. Um, we had a TV for the Rutgers game. We were basically just watching it the whole time. And then you know, we're just losing our minds. A bunch of St. John fans are like looking at us because I don't even remember who they were playing. But um, Now, this is the Purdue game, right? Chris? Yes, yes. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay. This was because it was uh, that Saturday of that weekend. Gotcha. And keep in mind, we had, you know, the previous week we had covered uh, the Big Ten women's basketball tournament. Um, and, you know, obviously we had plans to cover the Big Ten tournament for the men. And then obviously that Did fell you through. go to Indy that week? No, 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 no. I was I was just a sophomore at the time. So that was like below my pay grade. Did anyone go to Indy? Uh, that yes, week? yes. Uh, two seniors did. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, that's. That was the most uh, surreal broadcast I think we've ever aired, and it, we didn't even have a game. Right. I mean, the only thing that would have been weirder is if it was like um, St. John's and um, Creighton where they actually played a half and then stopped. Do you guys remember oh, that? I forgot about that. Yeah, because all the Rutgers other tournaments have been canceled because they were supposed to start at noon. It was the night before. I blame Rudy Gobert. If it weren't for Rudy Gobert, it probably would have lasted. Touching all the – speak of press conferences. They probably would have, like – because that was what like, made people actually think about it. It was like, oh, we'll just do it without fans. Well, I don't blame Rudy Gobert because no, no, Rudy, no, no, if it no. wasn't Rudy Gobert, it was going to be someone else. And also, like – yeah, and also, like, you know, no one was really taking it seriously at the time, really, outside of, like, you know, like, you know, the actual right. experts. But no one was really taking it seriously at the time. Like, everyone was kind of laughing it off. It was like, oh, maybe this will be a thing in the future um, that we might have to think about. But – well, I remember Fred Hoiberg. That was the other one too. The first game, but it happened at the, the same time. Game of the Big Ten tournament, he's like he's like dying on the sideline, basically, like sweating bullets. And I don't. Everyone was like, "Oh my God, is Fred is Fred Hoiberg okay?" And like this was like at the height of like, does he have COVID or does he not? We didn't know what ended up being the flu. Ended up being the flu, and it was. I mean, this was like at the apex of like, does like we don't know what COVID is and. It was this and Gobert. It was almost happening simultaneously, from what I remembered. But, you know, it, it just, yeah, the whole thing was was crazy. I maintain if neither of those things happened, like, they would have, I mean, eventually would have gotten canceled. I think would have gotten to the NCAA tournament. But it probably would have, like, at least lasted, like, a couple more days before they shut everything down. 
Right, because, I mean, once there were people, well-known people that were, you know, already starting to talk about it and, you know, yeah. obviously Rodrigo Bear shutting down the NBA. But I also, I mean, I remember I wasn't, Chris, like you said, I wasn't at WRSU then, but I remember seeing the empty stands as the teams were warming up. And I was, I was thinking, like, this is the weirdest thing ever. Like, this is going to be the single weirdest game Rutgers basketball ever plays. <laughs> it was also because... You know, they were, the rule was 250 per person because, as we all know, 250 people, totally safe. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but it was like if you watch – go back and watch the highlights of that Creighton-St. John's game on YouTube. It's the most bizarre because it was before they had, like, the fake crowd noise and the cardboard cutouts and all that. It was just – the garden was mostly empty. There were, like, the parents and families behind the benches and I think the cheerleaders, and that was it. I remember Golden State, um, San Francisco City was the first NBA, like – NBA thing. They were supposed have. to play an empty, exactly. an empty uh, game exactly. that night. Um, Chase Center was supposed to they, play in an empty arena. They wrapped it. So. I think it was the night after. So I remember the NBA shut down on a Wednesday night. I think they were supposed to play on a Thursday night in front of no crowd. Yeah, yeah, that was it. That was it. But I remember the Nets' next game was supposed to be. Oh, they're going to play without fans. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I remember. I remember the Nets' last game was actually against the Lakers. I remember. It was watching, at the Staples Center. Yeah, I remember watching that. So on Tuesday, I that Tuesday, I woke up thinking that I was going to finish out my semester on or finish out my. I was going to finish out, you know, the rest of the schedule on, until Friday and then go home on Friday for spring break. And then by the end of Tuesday, I was sitting at home watching the Lakers game. Um, not knowing when I was going back to Rutgers. So, um, yeah, that's how I remember that last Nets game. Yeah, I mean, the whole that, that whole thing, it's kind of like you, know, you can, I don't want to say laugh back because it was a very serious time, but, like, you can kind of sort of look back and be like, oh, well, it wasn't that weird. Like, we actually thought we might come back, like, in two weeks, because no one knew what, what it was going to be like. We're gonna so. we're gonna get older, and like we're gonna be like old men. I'll be telling the story at alumni nightline for the next like. <laughs> have you years do you remember like, when we were on campus uh, and we had to go home for like <laughs> Pepperidge Farm remembers? <laughs> in like in like thirty years, when like Alex Carmenai Jr. is sports director, and I'm coming back for <laughs> alumni nightline, I'm like, oh, you guys like going on trips? Well, when I was sports director, there were no trips because we weren't allowed to travel because of COVID. <laughs> we had TV in here, and we had um, a hotkey that plays crowd noise. Oh, Jack, you've never heard the hot key for the crowd noise, have you? I have not. Oh, right Should around minute 37, it gets super loud. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, go on. It might actually be on there. Go to, like, sports intros, outros. I think that's where I put it. On right. hot key, on the hot keys, there's a crowd noise one. It's either that or the crew one. Um, wow, so I never thought I'd be hearing this one again. <laughs> well, now okay. we're just kind of like making fun. Because, look, my options were either have, because we weren't able to, until the NCAA tournament, we weren't able to get like an actual sound feed from like the game itself. Um, There's so, a lot of sports outros, Chris. All right. Um, it's, it's the longest one. It's like an hour long. It, look at the bottom. It might be, it'll say crowd noise. It won't even say anything oh, else. Oh, I see it. You I see, see it. it. Yeah, but before you play, I want to give some context um, for anyone who maybe didn't listen to us last year. So, basically... My options as sports director were either we have fake crowd noise of some sort going on in the background or we call the game like how we're talking now with nothing in the background. And I decided the latter option would have sounded really weird. So I just said, all right, fine. We'll bite the bullet. We'll do the crowd noise. So, Jack, fade hotkey one down to like minus 20 and then click play. Then, then you'll know basically what we had to call games with this whole time. 
Oh my God. And this... welcome to Mackey Arena as your Rutgers Scarlet Knights take on the <laughs> Purdue Boilermakers in what should be a great matchup. I'm Chris Cohn, joined by my broadcast partner, Gideon Fox. And Gideon, you know, obviously this building's a lot different without the fans, but, you know, you can really feel the energy with these two teams. Absolutely, Chris. And <laughs> Rutgers still with no road wins on the season. Will we see a clutch performance from Geo Baker? Will we see Rutgers finally pull out a road win from Studio A in New Brunswick? <laughs> And the opening tip is won by the Scarlet Knights. Geo Baker taking it up the floor. Baker holds top of the key, gives right wing for Harper. Harper drives the baseline, goes up for the layup, no good. Um, I think there was a whistle. I couldn't tell. We cannot hear the whistles from here, but um, the crowd noise is the same as it's been. So, um, it's the fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a foul. It's a foul. They're going. I mean, that's basically what we have to deal with. The best was all right. You can fade it out now. But just to sort of give you a glimpse of what <laughs> broadcasting during COVID We're was sitting like. in Studio A right now. This is exactly where we sat. Literally, we had the two. Games. So, Jack, to paint a picture, the middle two mics were taken out because, you know, we were doing Nightline mostly remotely at the time. Um, and we had two headsets, and we had, like, a 40-inch TV that we had in here. And that was basically how we called the games. So With, like, that huge that laptop. Sounds like, that sounds like a pretty fun experience, if you ask me. It's really not. No, compared to traveling, <laughs> it's not. I mean, compared it, to going to the rack to call a game, it's nothing. I mean... I, the I'll night the, it had its perks. I will say that, like not being able to travel for a year stunk. There were some trips I really wanted to go on that year that I couldn't do. I mean, for one, obviously the NCAA tournament, but also like you know football played at Ohio State. Um, they only do that once every two years. Um, Michigan State's another one I wanted to go to. Um, in terms of road games, I mean basketball, they play like a lot of the same ones every year. So it's not well, that we also big called deal. the historic women's lacrosse game together. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. was even that was more Stony unusual of a, of a broadcast. Well, yeah, because we had to do it in two different locations. Because I was so basically because me and Schmid were the only two guys approved to call lacrosse, and then you know Schmid couldn't make it, so I was like, I went, I was saying in Pav, I'm like, look, our options are either, um, you know. I take the sideline kit and call the game from because I was going to Florida. It was after I was vaccinated and everything, so um, I gone to Florida and call it from there, and then have my broadcast partner in New Brunswick, or we throw two people on a lacrosse call for a big lacrosse call that have not done lacrosse ever before, and we decided the former was a better option. Um, so that's that's how Giddy and I ended up doing a call from two different states for a game played in a different state played in yeah, in stony brook is where they were playing um it's the technology of marvel <laughs> well i mean the technology didn't really work the the feet <laughs> yeah. kept like lagging out so we had to end up watching it like synced at different times yeah so. color commentary well, was I, like i think that went top <laughs> left could have gone top right i'm not actually sure <laughs> i saw a lot watching the nba during the pandemic like these announcers were broadcasting from home kind of like you guys were talking about like, i remember watching christmas day um you know last year and there were, I think the same guy broadcasted two games from home. It was like the first game and the last game. He's like, I remember like the first game he had the same background. It looked like he was in like his basement or something. And then the 1030 at night, there he is again, broadcasting again from the same spot. It, it's just so bizarre. Yeah. But I mean, like I said, yeah, obviously you want to be there both in terms of broadcast quality experience and also just, you know, experience experience of getting the chance to go to all these different places because the Big Ten has some great road venues about football and basketball but absolutely it did have some perks I got to call the NCAA tournament like in my sweatpants like I felt I've never felt more comfortable during a call <laughs> than I did then um and that was also those two games those three games for the men and the women's tournaments were the only times we were able to get the sound from the arena so like I, I mean, I'll, I'll play it for you guys after the show, but like you'll hear it. It sounds like we're courtside, even though we were in Studio A. So that was kind of cool. Oh, that's what nice. Was, that's a good change from just yeah. monotonous crowd noise. What was your favorite 
or what is your favorite Big Ten venue for basketball, Chris? Well, I haven't been to every one, so okay. keep that well, in mind. Of Actually, the ones you've visited. Now that I think about it, I've never called a men's basketball Big Ten road game. Really? Because here, let me explain. Because my freshman year, obviously, you know, I didn't call a ton of games, period, because I was a freshman. Um, I called two home non-conference games against, it was Boston U and Columbia. Um, so those are the two men's games I called. Then I called a women's road game at uh, Minnesota and Minneapolis. And that's an interesting arena. It's not like, you know, it's not like the Breslin Center. It's not like the Chrysler Center. It's not like those historic venues. But, you know, it's the oldest arena in, in the Big Ten basketball. It was built in like the 1920s. It has like kind of that old, like rustic feel to it. So it was kind of cool. Sorry, um, which which arena were you talking Williams about? Williams Arena. It's the uh, Minnesota Arena. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Minnesota is actually a really good campus. Like, it's right in downtown. You know, Minneapolis is a nice city. Now that you bring it up, that was another phenomenal game <laughs> to end the season. It seems like Rutgers just has a habit of playing with people's nerves yeah. at the end of the season. Ru- yeah, I mean. Rutgers, Minnesota. <laughs> I mean, if, it, it, it never comes easy, as Aaron Brightman likes to say. No. Or he liked to back then. Um, but, you know. To get back to your point, my sophomore year, I did a lot of women's basketball games. I did a lot of women's basketball road games. I went to the Xfinity Center. I went to the Chrysler Center. I went to – there's another road venue I went to that I'm blanking on. Or is there? No, I think those are my two Big Ten road ones. So I've only been to Chrysler Center, um, the Xfinity Center in Maryland, and – Minnesota. Well, I'll get back to you in March. I don't, and we'll, yeah, uh, we'll yes. answer that question again. There are a few, and look, I'm not like I think I've said this before off air. I'm not the type of person to want to hit all Big Ten schools. Like there are some schools I'm fine with not necessarily going to. Like I don't have to go to Illinois. <laughs> I don't have to go to Nebraska. I don't have to go. To, I mean, no, Iowa, you got Iowa, you got a point. Like what, Iowa, I want to go to though. You got you got a point. Like. I, I would want to go to Northwestern just because of the location. Yeah, Northwestern's awesome. I mean, I went there twice, I so mean, I think that's Michigan you know. would be cool just because it's Michigan. It's a big it's a big school, but nothing really appealing in that Detroit area, in my opinion. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but just off face value. Um, but, yeah, you got a point. I also – we have, like, a ridiculous amount of trips to Chicago this year. Like, there's, like, three road games in Northwestern, including football – I know we play Northwestern in basketball. We play them. I think we, I'm pretty sure we play them on the road in both men's and women's basketball. So that's two trips right there. Okay. Plus, um, you said Northwestern. For and football. also, if you call yes, and also if you call, the nice thing about calling women's basketball games on the road is if it's like far away enough, see, uh, uh, Rutgers radio doesn't cover it. So not only are you the only one, you get more listeners, but you also get to sit courtside. That's, that's what cool. I did at Northwestern, and that's what I did at LSU. And LSU was just. That's cool. I mean, so you sit courtside, like right where, like at the stats table. table. Yep, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's just you and Shokat. <laughs> just like Mike Breen, Jeff Van Gundy, and Mark Jackson. Yes. as I'm watching their game right now at the Garden. Apparently, Jack, you'll find this interesting because um, not only was Jeff Van Gundy a former Rutgers assistant coach yep. under Bob Wenzel, but he also apparently I'd have to like email some alums to see if the tape still exists. But apparently, he like guest hosted a Nightline once after a football game. Hmm. I would, I would definitely want to see that. De- I need audio on that. <laughs> I, I I would love to know what he was like. I mean, I might for all I know that could have been his first like broadcasting right here on WRSU technically. So I guess we could claim him as like one of our own. The WRSU yeah, alum. Uh, I mean, if I ever get a chance to meet him, I'll ask him about that. But um, I mean, it's good to have that thing in common. I mean, that's how you network. That's how you yeah. like, start a conversation. Be like, yeah, yeah I, you know, if he Rutgers. remembers it. If I'm being honest, like this was like in 1988, I think. 
He was a long time ago. But. I have to point this out right now because the in FM, the Knicks-Celtics game is on. As we were talking about at the top of the show, the NBA rule changes. Evan Fournier just tried to do the exact thing that's been trying to be outlawed in the NBA. Pump fake, tried to run into his run into the defender, and no call. What's the score right now? 11-10 Knicks. All right. It's All early right. in the game, but it's actually I'm extremely excited watching that. I got to check the, the score of the Bulls-Pistons game right now because that's the other one I got. Oh, Pistons up by three midway second quarter. Oh, I don't like to hear that at all. <laughs> but it's <laughs> only is... three points, though, so like it's 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 basically it. Yeah, but I had the Bulls minus five. Oh. So I'm down eight points right now. See, I just parlayed the two money lines. That's a smart call. Yeah. That's... Do you guys do fantasy basketball? No. I, I, don't. I don't have the stamina for it. I barely I barely check my fantasy football team, if I'm being honest. Right. Yeah, so I've been, I've been keeping up with, uh, with that to see. How my teams perform. It's always the most frustrating part at the beginning of the season. It seemed like I always lose. <laughs> yeah. Although I feel like doing a fantasy sport gets you so involved in that sport that, like, I feel like I've always wanted to do fantasy basketball just for, like, one year. So, like, I understand who you want, who you don't want. It's really and- it's really not that much of a commitment. You just – it's all about remembering. Like, you, you got to remember to set your team – it's really not that big of a commitment. You spend like at most like ten minutes, like you know, setting your lineup, seeing if anyone is trending to be really good. If someone's worth picking up on the waiver wire, I think the waiver waivers are a lot more important in fantasy basketball than they are fantasy football because you'll have a guy who will have a hot stretch or is a, has a bigger role in a team that you might not have thought of at the beginning of the year, and that's a really good opportunity to pick up someone who could be valuable for your team. It's the waiver wire is really important. It kind of just determines who's going to be a contender in fantasy basketball and who isn't. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I don't know. I just I I was in a league one year and I just I after like a week I just no one no one in the league was really like paying attention. So yeah, that's that's a tough thing about that. Yeah, so you can say that any fantasy sport and that just ruins any league. Like when you're into it and no one else is, like how unless every you know all eight, ten, twelve, or most of you at least. There's always a couple people that are like disengaged, but yeah, of course. You know, but I don't know. I've never been like a huge fantasy sports guy. I'm more of just you know I'll watch whatever game I want to watch. Is like I don't, I don't know. I I just I don't like to overthink. Like oh, I need this guy to get this amount of points for my fantasy team. Like I just yeah. It is what it is. I play it. I don't really care too, too much, but, you know, that's just kind of my philosophy on it. But It's you know, fun, though. I mean, I, it's like, you know, when your football team is struggling, everyone in Studio A could agree with that. Maybe not. Well, two out of three. <laughs> <laughs> on one side of the glass, at least. <laughs> not everyone has Trayvon Diggs. I've seen my fair share <laughs> of struggles over – my lifetime being a Cowboys fan, so I'm not. I'm not. It's not like it's not. Like oh Cow- no 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 no! You are not about to pull the oh poor Cowboys card in front of a New York Jets fan. When you go eight and eight three straight years and lose oh, you to know every what's single worse one than, of your you rivals, no 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 no, no 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 no. You know what's worse than going eight and eight three straight years is and losing to your three rivals to close the, yes. close out the division. Yes. You know what's worse than that? Not making the playoffs for ten years. At all. And not even getting close. That's the New York Jets. New York Jets last made the playoffs. I was in the fifth grade. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate we only got grade. four minutes to go because we could. Chris, I may not Chris have hair the f- next time the New York Jets make the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. 
It is a, an abysmal franchise to root for. <laughs> abysmal. That is crazy to think. Fifth grade, like, Chris, fifth grade. you graduate college and... I barely had a grasp on the multiplication tables. And since then, the New York Jets have not had a grasp on winning football games and oh, making man. the playoffs. It's ridiculous. And now Geno Smith is still losing games. Geno Smith, I feel like he could have been a good quarterback if he played for any other franchise but us to start off. That's that's my opinion. Because like, he has the tools to be a good quarterback. It's just, you know, I thought Sanchez was kind of doomed from the start. I thought Darnold was kind of doomed from the start. But I don't feel the same way about Geno. Maybe, maybe that makes me weird, but... I think I think he could have been a good quarterback in this league. I mean, as far as backups go, you can do a lot worse. Like he's probably one of the best backups in the league, but yeah. Miss backing up Russell Wilson is pretty good. Usually a pretty guys, safe job. While we're on the subject of Russell Wilson, did you guys see that video that uh was on the Sunday night football broadcast, like in the pregame? The one of him like on that dock in the lake? Or a different no, one? No, no, no. It was him warming up. But, like, he was, like, dropping back by himself. Oh, he, he was, was basically doing a warm-up, like, for what – Basically, it oh, looked like past. that he was, like, really, really struggling with the fact – Sorry, my mic just flew away. Um, struggling with the fact that he's not going to be playing today. Is that what you're talking about? Something like that. But he was, like – he was, he was like, practicing dropping back in, into the pocket. He was practicing, like, talking to the huddle. Like, he was on a knee, like, having a fake conversation with a huddle that was not there. And he, like pra- – he was, like – Faking calling auto like it was bizarre. Really? Yes. Like go look up the video. It's probably on like Twitter. I mean, this is right the first now. game in his whole NFL career that he wasn't starting. I mean, he hasn't. He's been there starting ever since he's st- took over the starting job. He's been. But I feel like that's guy. not that's not my point though. My point is he was just acting like. Weird. Oh, I see oh, it, Chris. Oh, oh. I see it. Watch that and tell me you don't find that to be very unusual behavior. Well, I saw the the video started with him on yeah, like you said, on one knee, like talking to the guys. But the guys aren't there. He's just yeah, in a I field. It. it wasn't even a home game. I don't think that looks like a guy who's going through with. That looks like a guy who hasn't missed a start in about ten years. But like, okay. But still, I, I mean that's just like, uh, if, if you saw someone doing that, like. <laughs> On like one of the fields on like Bush or, or Cook or wherever, <laughs> would you think? Oh, that that's a normal thing to do. I understand why he's doing it. No, you'd top, be like, what is up with that dude? Top comment is rather watch this over another half of this game. <laughs> <laughs> and what's also bizarre about that video was that was before warmups. You know, no one else was on the field then. It was that's just what I'm saying. He was there by himself. Around. Like that was just beyond him taking a you know taking a step away from his team for a little bit. He was out on the field by himself. Twitter. Twitter comments are usually not suited for FCC airways, but um, they're they're a good laugh. If uh, I'm sure you guys know that, I'm looking looking through these right now. He's like, I hope he practiced getting sacked to make it realistic. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's good. That's good. I mean, it's bad, but it's good. Um, it's a good way to sum up Twitter. 